New Year, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcasts, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 137, our uh, most anticipated show of the year, as far as I'm concerned. It's my personal favorite. This is our top 10 horror movies of 2017 episode, and of course, we have a number of other lists as well, but if this is your first time tuning in on Horror Movie Podcast, you hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations that help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies, and I I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shockbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Bruh. How are you not scared of this, man? <laughs> well done. Happy New Year, you guys. It's good to talk yep. to you. It's uh, We're recording this on January 3rd. This year, we waited all the way till the end of the year so we could close up 2017 before we do this insanity and i'm glad we did because it sounds like the three of us were cramming the past month a bunch right oh oh yeah exactly. <laughs> that's good yeah i mean i uh i got lucky that i got like hardcore flu for about a week and so i could not do anything but lay on the couch and you know i took vomit breaks but in between vomit breaks, I got to watch a lot of great horror movies, so that was nice. Oh <laughs> well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm sorry you're sick, but yeah, yeah it sounds like it paid off. You know, I actually think it's it's difficult to watch horror movies when I'm sick, like genuinely feeling terrible, because they do tend to make me feel bad inside in the first place, right? So yeah, it was tough. There were a few that was like, it's too depressing. I'm already too far down this hole. So. <laughs> but you know, with a little. <laughs> careful management of the order I watched things. It worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'm glad you got those in. Yeah, I think um, Dave was telling me before we started, you, you've uh, watched like 20-some movies in the past. Like, Yeah. Uh, I want to say it's like 22, 23, I'd say in the past eight, <laughs> nine days, something like that. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. You, you beat yeah. me. Yeah, probably in the past like week and a half, I've done like eight to ten uh, things that I needed to catch up on. So I got those movies right. in, but, um, well, that's the problem. I mean, uh, like, and it, again, throughout the year, I don't always join in with the newer reviews, the reviews of the newer movies. Mm-hmm. So I always have to catch up with them before we do this, this top 10. And there were some times as I was getting the movies ready, I'm saying, damn it, Jay, why you got to do this on January 3rd? But it's worth <laughs> it. I got them all in and I got them all in and it was worth it. And I'm glad, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I did. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Well, uh, let's kick it off. I mean, I think we probably have some new listeners tuning in for the first time listening to us. So we thought we'd give just kind of an overview, like a little HMP year in review for 2017. Some of the highlights of the things we covered in case you want to go back and listen. And for those who already heard it all, maybe this will be a tiny bit nostalgic for you. But uh, we kicked off this year way back in episode 108, <laughs> if you can believe that. Um, it, and it was our top 10 horror of 2016 is how we started it out. But but this year was um, rough on a lot of different levels. I mean, I think in terms of a year for horror, uh, honest to goodness, guys, I don't know how you feel. And, and I didn't even have um, a lot of horrors happen to me personally. But there was so much horror in the world, like sadness and tragedy and suffering and political strife and so forth and and losses of horror icons that I feel like um, the horror movies actually kind of helped cope with that. 
I, I don't know if that was your experience. Oh, I, definitely with the icons. I mean, and I mentioned it before. I lost the, We lost the two directors of my of my number one and number two favorite horror movies. You know, Toby Hooper and, and George Romero mm-hmm. uh, both passed away this year, and that's that's you know that's that was tough. And uh, we've we've had uh, we've had several um, uh, throughout this year. Yeah, twenty sixteen was not good either. Twenty sixteen was a bad year for for um. Uh, I know celebrity deaths, a lot of people passing away as well. Uh, but yeah, 2017 was 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 no better. I mean, it was it was another. You're right, another depressing year. And Jay, you did have something. You this <laughs> you went through the your surgery. Yeah, it, that, that was this year. <laughs> I had open heart surgery. Nearly died. Um, that was pretty interesting. Glad to be here. I almost died by bear. That's <laughs> right. Year. Yeah, t- Josh That's almost right. died too, and that was like legitimately like almost died. We both legitimately yeah. almost died this year, but yeah. and that's the thing is that a lot of people legitimately almost died this year. There were so many natural disasters this year. I mean, we narrowly, I mean, who knows? Hopefully, we're you know knock on wood avoiding nuclear war. So <laughs> wow, right. certainly a lot of right. things to be worried about out there. Yeah. Um, you know, we had the return of the Nazis, which was great. You know, it would been too long since we had seen some some active Nazis. So oh my goodness, uh, just a just a crazy year to be sure but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it was it was there was so much sadness i just felt like on, in podcasting you know where it, it felt weird to just get on here and talk about movies when there were so many other heavier weightier matters so uh, a lot of times we found ourselves this past year like reflecting and just making comments about what was going on in the world but anyway in terms of coverage though i mean we did you know, we talked about the loss of Bill Paxton and Michael Parks. We also did some Stephen King coverage, a good bit of that this year, right? Um, that that was my favorite thing we did this year, I, I have to say, and probably one of my favorite things we've ever done. You know, I always enjoy uh, the idea of a franchise review, but it's always such a slog when we get into it. And I'm sure what you'll get to that later on your list. But the Stephen <laughs> King reviews were so much fun. They just re-enlivened my interest in the guy and it's so weird i don't even know if we necessarily planned i guess we did we were thinking about the release of it and the Mm -hmm. dark tower but man what a renaissance year for stephen king it really was yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. it really was that was great timing yeah we lucked out with that and that was kind of exciting to go through all those and have uh the gill man joel robertson with us as well Mm -hmm. um what about uh you know what was hilarious over on a Movie Podcast Weekly, I got severely behind on releasing episodes. I actually have uh, five episodes still in the can from 2017 that haven't been released yet. Wow, man. And yeah. I, I can... Holy I, cow. I didn't confess this to that audience, but I can directly attribute that to that 3,000-plus word essay I wrote about Trojan horses at the <laughs> gates of horror. <laughs> <laughs> that you know that essay that nobody read nobody like commented on and nobody cared about um that thing yeah that that set me behind and that's fine but that's one thing i tried to do this year and um maybe that'll come back later on in this evening but oh i think i uh, i definitely have some thoughts around that and i think i think i think although i didn't really agree with you or or where you were where you were headed and i agree with you less as time has passed i do think it was very um 
I, I think you 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 definitely were on to something that there was something going on that made horror different this year. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been thinking about that a lot as I've been looking over my list and thinking, oh wow, these films, a lot of them have stuff in common, and mm-hmm. it's not how horror has been in years past. Yes, and and I I have a feeling I, I get the sense we're going to be talking about this very theme. I, I'm very excited about that. But Josh, I gotta I gotta congratulate you. I think. One of my highlights this year was something that you did, and that was your interview with uh, Keone Bothorpe and the shark attack oh. survival story. That campfire oh, tale yeah. is Absolutely. one of my favorite things I've ever heard in podcasting, and uh, so thank yeah, you for incredible. getting that. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, not, I'm not saying that my work was incredible. It was incredible, to because I've known him for years and known about the story, and I had never heard all of those details until... <laughs> He was telling it on the podcast. And so <laughs> I didn't realize really the extent to how insane what transpired was. But mm-hmm. yeah, it really was. Well, and the guy's a genuine hero. So yeah, listeners, if you're new to this show and you haven't heard that, that's in our uh, shark attack episode from earlier this year. And it is just, it's mind blowing. It really is. And then there was the uh, child's play uh, franchise review, which is a little bit of a black eye for me because I fell asleep during half the movies and and I and I, st- I still owe you guys some bad movies which I will I will do I will pay up on that but um but yeah did you guys enjoy the child's play franchise review so much. parts of it yeah yeah parts of it so I mean, you know, parts of it were fun parts of it were a slog but you know mm-hmm. the films were a lot stronger than I had given them credit for in terms of just yeah. watchability and trying yeah. something new each outing. And so I think that is impressive as a franchise. We don't often see a franchise with a guy like Don Mancini, who's carried it through from the very beginning. And so I thought that was cool. I, it's still just not my cup of tea though. And, you know, I, I, I did, I did become a fan of Fiona Dorf this year. Thanks to that franchise. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I am a big fan of Absolutely. hers. Yep. Yes. One thing I'm proud of that's horror movie podcast adjacent is uh, Jay, you were going to not be on the show. I don't know if it was actually during your surgery or if it was in the run up to that, but you were busy. And so we decided Dave and I would do a bonus episode where we looked at the universal monsters films Mm -hmm. and kind of recommended our 10 top 10 and the audience's top 10. And that led to the launching of a brand new podcast that Dave and I have done this year with Joel Robertson as well. And, and others, you know, friends of the show and man, I have had so much fun doing the universal monsters movies on that show. It's been great. And when you think of that, we've done all these episodes, we've, we've talked about it back and forth and we've still only covered one of the monsters. Yeah. You know, we, we've only actually covered the mummy. That's the only the only one we've covered, and we still have so many more to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait for this coming year to to see where we take it. And and the rest of them, I think we could spend a whole year just yeah. just on on the rest of these monsters, you know? No, I agree. Yeah. Maybe not the invisible man, but you know, the, the Dracula, <laughs> Frankenstein, we really could. Sure. And you, you guys have done a fantastic job over there as well. So, like, yeah, if the listeners haven't ventured over yet, um, that is definitely worth their time for certain. And, and Josh, I also liked uh, your Campfire Tales. You made reference to it about your Alaskan adventures. And I think I think some of that stuff is just... We actually had, um, when, when people were sending in their lists, they actually commented about how that was one of their favorite things this year. 
It was one oh, of our wow. lady listeners. Yeah, it, was just, it was it was incredibly <clears throat> intense. I mean, you you knew going in that th- that this <laughs> stuff was possible. I remember you saying that. I remember you saying, "Well, if if I come back, I mean, and, and you didn't sound very confident." that wasn't that wasn't you weren't joking it's not like you were you were joking around with us here i mean you were like really nervous about that um and and then it it turned out it turned out to be just an 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 incredibly intense it sounded like experience Mm -hmm. yes absolutely was it's almost surreal i can't even really imagine that it was real right now so uh, thankfully thankfully in the and the warmth of my hearth and on home, I don't have to <laughs> worry about that as much, but yeah. it was intense. Yes, it was. Now, um, what about uh, the, one of the, the biggest things this year was that we actually got to meet Dr. Shock in person uh, for yeah. the first time after all these years because we had our um, Movie Podcast Network meetup in Salt Lake City. And, and uh, Dave came. We had a lot of people yep. actually come for that which is wonderful. And we even had a uh, director, Chris Peckover, better watch out and screened his film and everything. And yep. that, that meetup was, uh, was just a, a huge highlight was, in October. It was great. I met, I met uh, Jay, I met you in the, what was that in the, right at the, the Salt Lake city airport there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're coming across the street, you were able to pick us out. Oh, well, I guess you could pick us out. We're the only two sitting there. <laughs> um, and then of course I met Josh at the back of the theater yeah. For uh, for better, uh, what is it? Uh, happy Death Day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Just amazing, amazing stuff. So, anything else? I mean, I that wasn't a comprehensive list. I just wanted to tease a couple things. But anything else you guys wanted to to say from our year in review of coverage? Because otherwise, it was a lot of Frankensteinian coverage, and we're going to be talking about a lot of those movies tonight in yeah, our lists. Those are fun. I mean, I remember you know things that stick out for me, or when I, when we were recording. Uh, when I was recording, when we were down and I was down in Wildwood and I joined in with, I think it was you and Matt mm-hmm. um, for an, for an episode. And I, I, it was the, the night that I saw that, uh, that damn monkey in that basket uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. at that restaurant. Um, you <laughs> yes. know, that, that kind of sticks out for me because um, you know, the, the, the fact that uh, any other time I'd say, well, I'm on vacation. I probably won't be, but it's now gotten to the point where I don't want to miss any episodes. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I, I want to be part of them uh, as much as I can. So, uh, you know, that was uh, that's just something from this year that stuck out for me. I have never, ever recorded uh, a podcast outside of my house before. Or I should say outside of like this area of Pennsylvania before. Mm-hmm. I've never recorded a podcast. So that was uh, that was something for me. That kind of thing seems to happen a lot on this show, which is interesting. Like, I remember when we were recording the Stephen King stuff with Joel, he got scared to death, like, live on the air, like, because a cat jumped up. He was recording from inside his car, and, like, a cat yes, jumped up yes, on the window. Right. So it was an actual cat <laughs> jump scare. And, uh, wow. That's, that's hilarious. It really, it really is a thing, I guess. But Joel, Joel is the only one left who gets, who's actually scared by that, by that cat jump scare. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> So, anyways, we we want to thank everybody who's made it a great year, 2017. We had a lot of uh, excellent uh, participation and people just interacting with us in the community, and we're grateful. Now let's move in and talk about our kind of like a general overview. We're going to talk specifics shortly, but let's talk about the horror cinema of 2017 and specifically how it uh, 
follows 2016, which we all agreed was a remarkable year in horror cinema as well. So yeah, yeah, I, I I have to admit at the beginning of this year, and I think I even sort of made a loaded comment when I said, "How do you think 2017 will will fare?" I mean, I was thinking at that time, I don't think it's going to match. I mean, and and it, it's not that it's not that I just didn't think it. I just didn't. I, I, I didn't think it could. I, I didn't think it was going to compare because 2016 was, for me, amazing. It was an absolutely amazing year for horror. And I'm thinking, I just don't know if it's fair to even expect 2017 to match up to that, you know, because of how great 2016 was. But as I'm looking over my list here, I'm thinking, you know what? This is this is mm-hmm. pretty damn good year. I mean, these, some of these movies would have made my list in 2016. Mm-hmm. And they, and they, you know, there's no doubt about it. So 2017, I think, is proving that that we're kind of living in maybe a, 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 this is a great time for horror fans, I think. A lot of original stuff is coming out. A lot of, a lot of really interesting, really interesting things in, in different directions. And I mean, I'm really, ex- now I'm excited for 2018. I mean, I was I was nervous for 2017. I'm thinking, well, 2016 was great. 2017 will probably be a letdown. I, I thought that at the beginning of the year, but I was wrong. And now I can't wait to see what 2018 has in store. In fact, Josh, wasn't it you who said, it was a great quote. I, I wanted to try to remember it. Didn't you say, I think it was Josh who said, it, this is, we actually are, We maybe we don't realize it, but we might be living in a golden era for horror right now. Did that you? was, I, I, I had sent that, but that's a quote I got from the movie Z Channel. Oh, magnificent okay. obsession that um, Alexander Payne said when he was talking about like with Z Channel. He said, "You just never realize when you're living in a golden age." Oh yeah, I, I agreed with you know, that when I heard that. Yeah, I, and I think that for horror fans, this this could be that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things for all horror fans. You know, even the ones who who like the you know the the '80s throwbacks and the gore and everything. There's just there's something for everyone coming out now. Hmm. Josh, you have a few theories on uh, the horror cinema of 2017. What what have you been seeing? Well, I do agree with you guys. I think it was another great year. I still don't quite think it was up to the snuff for 2016 for me in terms of um, the movies that I liked from 2016. I liked hard. <laughs> you know, my top four, and uh, I think probably Trump most of my top four this year, but I do think there were more good horror movies, like more quality horror movies this year than there were last year. I, you know, putting my list together, I just put everything on there that I'd seen. And then I started knocking off things I didn't like at all. And I got down to 50 plus movies, horror movies from this year that I thought were good, meaning, you know, six or above. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of shocked by that. It was, there was just a, a huge amount, but yeah, back to my theories. I mean, I think it is connected to your Trojan horse thing. I don't necessarily see a problem with it. I don't think it's something to be defended against, but what I do see is that this year had a huge number of humanist horror films and, and most of them were art house horror films as well. Most of those humanist films. And I, and I, and I think, you know, we didn't see a lot of monsters this year. We didn't see a lot of, of slashers. We didn't see a lot of home invasion. What we saw were films about people going through something Mm -hmm. and the horror of 
those personal experiences, most of them rooted, not in an external, you know, scare, but in an internal struggle, which I can see, you know, someone with certain, um, you know, proclivities saying, well, those are drama films then with horror trappings. And, and yes, I understand where you're coming from with that, but I do think that horror at the root of horror is what we talk about all of the time. It, it, it's, it's our most intimate places becoming unsafe. And, and I think that when we see these art house films that are about, you know, the typical things an indie Sundance film would be about, which are like coming of age stories or dealing with abuse or dealing with the loss of a loved one. But then we're, we're, we add those horror trappings to me. That is, Amazing. But whether you like it or not, I do think that that is what we're seeing this year. I think we're seeing just a lot of humanistic horror. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I I like everything you're saying and I agree. I agree with what you're saying. And I also agree that we are probably in some sort of a golden era, but I, I do have two concerns and, and they are like partially (laughs) connected to what you're talking about where, um, what we're seeing is like the, the film is largely a like a drama, like most of the time. And even the tone, like, you know, horror films are often uh, just very dark, like, like visually dark, like the lighting is dark and like the corners are bathed in darkness. You can't see into the corners of the screen. Well, now, like I'm seeing this year, I saw a lot of horror films that were quote unquote horror but it was like the tone was different and it was light the whole time. And then at the end, like the last, you know, fourth or third of the film, it gets like hardcore and there's no way you could deny that it's horror. But, and see, it it just, it concerns me a little bit for the genre because my favorite things I saw this year were the kind that, that stuck with the genre tropes throughout. And I'm not saying like same old, same old. I'm just saying where it's familiar horror that we can recognize and it's not like oh okay this is uh 90% drama 10% horror yeah but I I like I kind of like that evolution um in a way because I think that I think it's important for the genre to always sort of be stretching itself and 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 in those directions I mean yeah I mean I love the 80s slashers I love um you know the monster movies I do but it's always interesting to see someone else's take on a horror film. And yeah, there were quite a few. You're right, Jay. There were quite a few this this year where you're looking and you're saying, yeah, this is a drama or this is a, a mystery or something. And and then, yeah, they throw right at the end there or at a certain point in the movie, they throw all of this crazy stuff in. They said, okay, now it's horror. But I like that. I mean, I think that's that's interesting. I think it keeps it fresh, and I think it keeps it growing and 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 sort of vibrant, and and it and and it, and it broadens it, and I think it brings more people to horror, people mm-hmm. who might otherwise not have been interested in the genre, and maybe now they're going to say, "Hey, there's something to this. Let me explore a little bit more and see what see what else is out there." Mm-hmm. The other thing I like about it is that we are seeing. I mean, kind of what Dave's saying that it comes in waves. You know, he, he's identified eighty slashers and these things come in waves and I don't think this is staying forever. I don't think this is a Trojan horse that we need to be worried about changing in the face of horror forever. I think it's going to have its time. And, and that's interesting to me. What it is, what is it about 
the world right now that's creating these types of films? Those are the kinds of questions I'm interested in, in thinking about. But also we're seeing, I think, a return to some classical horror elements. You know, one of the very first arguments we ever had on this podcast was about the classic film, The Haunting. <laughs> and and I think that's a film that doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, horror the way that we think of it sometimes as horror fans, you know, in your face, gore, violence, terror. It's it's just a slow building dread. You know, it's 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 the what's not seen. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's within us. Maybe, you know, kind of an Edgar Allan Poe approach to horror. And I love that. I love, and, and again, I don't want all of my horror films ever to be that, but if that's the wave we're in right now, I want to ride that wave. I like it. You know, I think it's exciting <laughs> that, that we're returning to some of these more classical horror tropes or classical approaches to telling a scary story. I hope you guys are right. And, and given the way that the genre does go through these, um, phases uh, you probably are right but i'm just i guess i'm just ultimately concerned that we're eventually gonna like um slip into something like uh, the genre we love so much is gonna become basically something like that movie john dies at the end you remember that movie <laughs> like it's where, like it's like okay the the horror geeks uh here's what we got for you we got this this movie it's really zany and crazy and then um you know a couple heads get chopped off at the end a couple boobs you're gonna love it you know like um and i, and I know what you're saying but but i also remember people being afraid that okay well when the found footage came so now it's gonna be nothing but found footage but it's not found footage just sort of settled down to become a different uh, a subgenre within horror. But I wouldn't say that 2017 was found footage heavy. I wouldn't say 2016 was found footage heavy. You know, it's yeah. just become another subgenre. But for a while there, that was all the rage. I mean, that was what everybody, mm-hmm. all the movies, you know, and paranormal activity had something to do with that. Blair Witch had something to do with that. Everybody was making found footage horror movies, and everyone's thinking. Oh no, this is all we're going to get now. And again, it was a wave and now it's settled in to become a subgenre and a viable one, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not it's not what it was 5 6 years ago. Right. Where you saw it all over the place. Well, that's good. You know, that's good. I mean, before that it was torture come- films and everyone was afraid right. exactly. that's what we'd ever see again were torture films and that's just not what happens. You know, artists are interested in exploring new places and then people make money off of that. And then people want to copy that success. And then it stops being profitable because somebody else comes and thinks of some other creative twist on things and it goes another direction. And that's just how, that's mm-hmm. just how it goes. Well, that's comforting. Healthy. I'm glad, th- I'm glad to hear it. Also, I love these movies. Let me also say that. I don't think it's I don't think it's something um I don't think it's a problem if a movie's mostly a drama with some horror at the end. Because I don't think they are, you know, John dies at the end types of films. At least the films I'm thinking of. Maybe you're thinking of different films, but the right. films I'm thinking of are really rich character studies about people going through personal trauma mm-hmm. and growing through horror situations and, and, and mental illness and, uh, you know, sociopolitical things. It's interesting. There, there are so many films about things that are happening to people because of who they are and things they can't control. That's another theme that I saw this year, Mm -hmm. things that are happening to us uh, 
the horror is happening to us because of who we are at our core. Yeah. I think that's right. interesting as well. Yeah. And what you were saying, Josh, like some of you said, you know, you'd like to look at, well, okay, what, what is this humanist horror film? Where is this coming from? Um, the, obviously as there always has been this in the world, but I think right now I'm very tuned into this for whatever reason, there's a lot of suffering and unrest and discontentment, but, but even more than that, it's, it's a hopelessness that I'm sensing. I feel like there is a fear for the future, almost like a lack of future. And I think that's exactly why we are seeing so many horror films now, especially this year where they're killing kids because it's kind of like the children of men type of thing. If you don't have kids, you don't have a future. And if they are taking out the kids in your horror film, then you are not continuing on. And so I, I feel like that hopelessness is translating in the horror cinema as um, a fear of not having a future ahead. Or maybe they've just been listening to your podcasts, Jay. Maybe they heard <laughs> you say, uh, hey, I like my horror in the daylight. And they're like, oh, Jay's, oh, that's what a great idea. Yeah, right. Let's make all of our horror movies <laughs> right, in the yeah. daylight. You know what's really transgressive? You kill a kid. Oh, let's let's kill a kid. They're just following the J of the Dead. Yeah, right. That's what Wait. it is. We're we're living in the J of the Dead era. That's oh, what it is. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, just all the more reason for people to be angry with me. So there's another there's another concern I have, and I want to see if you guys are picking up on this. I'm I'm sure you are, but like, okay, so just just being at the theater here recently. I saw a lot of the trailers for 2018 movies that are coming up, and um, some of them were horror, some of them were not. But there's a, something very common that I'm seeing, and that is all of these films are heavily, heavily based on an internet age, the digital era. Like, like the actual horror has so many internet-related components in it. Like, a lot of the films this year had that. And then a lot of things coming up, like a non-horror film coming up this year, Ready Player One, you know? Like, it's like... Right. Like, um, we're seeing that, too, and I am... I'm I'm nervous about that as well. I'm not liking that trend. And, like, you know, and maybe it's because of movies like Unfriended or whatever that thing was called that I didn't love. Um, You know, maybe it's because of things like that it left a bad taste in my mouth. But more often than not, it almost seems like it's more of a, a gimmick than an actual, you know, good way into a story. Well, I think when it's a gimmick, that's when we have problems. But I think we've seen the gimmick happening since the late 90s. You know, I think since Scream introduced the cell phone into horror films and, you know, The Matrix started talking about, you know, the, these alternate realities I think people have been trying ham-fistedly to deal with these in the unfriended types of ways. Like you said, I think what, what I'm seeing, and I haven't seen the same trailers you have, I don't know which trailers you're referring to, but what I'm seeing as I've watched some of this year's films are, we're just dealing with people who this isn't a part, this is a part of their life. You know, for so many years, we've talked about how do we get rid of the cell phone in the horror movie? Um, it's almost kind of like, well, they're like, well, now, you know, you don't get rid of the cell phone. That's just part of life. And, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have to pretend to harken back to a time when you didn't, couldn't have a cell phone or, you know, where horror couldn't happen if you had a cell phone. No horror happens now. And these kids have cell phones and this is the world they're growing up in. And I think we're just going to see a reflection of that. It's going to become harder to have the whole, I don't have a signal 
Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, that's going to become harder because I, I don't know of any place you can go now where you, you can't get a signal somehow. I mean, I guess there are still places out there, but... I mean, but did you I get what, what I was saying? saying? I, I know I'm what not, you're saying, not, yeah. It wasn't very articulate, but it, let me give you an example. Um, spoiler <laughs> for my list, which is Personal Shopper, which is a film that has a text conversation for about 20 minutes of the film. It has a YouTube video that's about five minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't at any point for me distract. Like it felt completely organic because that's just the world we live in now. That's Someone true. sends this character a YouTube video. It's like, watch this video and we're watching it now. And that's just the movie, you know? Yeah, it's very, I'm looking, look, go back to the 80s, Videodrome, you know, with when, when video was becoming big and, I just it, it, it's it's hard. It just sort of evolves. It takes it takes root in the present, I think, and it is interesting to see see how it does it. You know, I agree with you. So I, I see what you guys are saying, but I do think it can be problematic because um, while I acknowledge that yes, there are. Um, horrible monsters on the internet. There are pedophiles who are pretending to be like, you know, 12 year old girls talking to other little kids, you know, who are not grown up adults who are pedophiles. You know what I mean? There are monsters, but because of the whole, like, you know, Jason, Jason Voorhees, you know, comes out of the, the lake and grabs them out of, you know, and attacks her in the boat or whatever. You know, you have these dirty, like you have these, beastly beastly beings and so the reason i think that's problematic when you have monsters who are tech savvy and who are using um you know technology to uh terrify and and stalk people then to me it's almost like i'm not buying it because like I, uh, for whatever reason, I just think that tech savvy person would have better things to do or they're probably making a lot of money at their job. But, you know, I know there are like perverts on the Internet and stuff like that. But but I think it, it, it takes the teeth out of the monster to some extent if they're tech savvy. I don't think that's true, man. They, no, think about think there so are either. terrible things happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think it has to be about technology, but it's you can't divorce it from the time we're living in now. Mm-hmm. And. Terrible things are going to continue to happen, you know, and the world is going to seem horrific to to young people who have never known a world, you know, with a a man in the woods. Like I was lost in the woods this year and almost died. (laughs) Like it could still happen. And and yeah, in that case, it was the horror of I'm completely off the grid. And so I think you'll see things like that play out. I think you'll see the hard candy pervert line play out that you were referring to but i also mm-hmm. think you'll just see films like with personal shopper where it's just part of their world and it's not going to stop horror from happening right and th- and you could still be creative with it like something like the signal from what was that 2008 or, or whatever where where they found a way to uh to incorporate that into into technology and then something like um uh well, well, Tragedy really. Girls from this year is a great example because it's a yeah. film about some killers who want to build their social media following, really. And and yeah, that is more gimmicky and the film plays comedically. Mm-hmm. So it's a horror comedy. But the horror is based around a real life thing that happens where people are not honest because they want to live an alternate life on the internet, 
you know, and I don't know. I just think I, I'm not super interested in that idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't, and I don't want to see every movie be about that now, but I don't think we will either. I don't think that's a concern. That's good. Cause I guess I'm okay with, I mean, if it is used organically and it, and like technology is peripherally in the story, just to depict the real life that we live in now, then I'm okay with that. But yeah, I think where I get distracted by it is where it's gimmicky. And, and like, I just picture some filmmaker thinking, okay, um, and, and this is okay, by the way. I mean, I, I am not 100% criticizing it because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's where the 1950s um, sci-fi horror came from was our fears of the nuclear age. So now we have a... Right, the, the a, big bugs, the, yeah, big, the big bug exactly. monsters, yeah. Yeah, so now we have a digital age, an internet age. So yeah, there are obviously going to be fears coming out of that. So yeah, I mean, as long as it's not gimmicky, if it's organic and peripherally in the story, then I'm happy with it, but... Anyways, uh, overall, though, guys, my my two cents on the horror cinema of 2017, I've been very pleased. And and despite everything I've said here, I I do like this humanist horror movement that we're seeing. And even if like a lot of the film is drama and then it goes hardcore horror at the end, I have been enjoying that. I guess my reservations are just my fears that are a genre that we were that we've known and loved will get uh, watered down and shift into that permanently. But I think, but you guys have, it's just a phase. You guys have talked me back from the ledge a little bit on that. So that's good. Yeah. I think it's a phase. It's going to, horror has always evolved. Um, And, and you could, you could point to the evolutions. Um, And I think that it's going to continue to do so uh, as long as, you know, there are new people coming up influenced by the older movies. And that's what we're seeing, you know, now, um, and, but everyone has their own take on it, and that's what I really like. Mm-hmm. Is you're having Remember, people come in who are artists, and they're and they're they're giving their take on here's here's what's horrific to me, and here's here's why. Okay. Remember when you were scared of what Blumhouse was going to do a couple of years ago? <laughs> you know, and yes, and you weren't were wrong to be concerned for the state that you know you felt horror was in at that moment. Mm-hmm. But since that time. You know, Blumhouse has made Get Out. Blumhouse has made Split. Blumhouse has made The Visit. Yeah, Blumhouse right. is making one of the biggest horror movies of 2018, Halloween with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not. The world's always moving. You know. And yeah. I just don't think we need right, to exactly. live in fear, even though we are the horror movie podcast. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> I don't need to be afraid. <laughs> Maybe uh so all right. Well that's good. That's good. And 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 yes, I wouldn't for even though you guys were joking about it earlier, I wouldn't for a second assume that I, I had anything to do with that in my lamenting and gnashing of teeth and so forth. But I do think that we as horror fans, this goes back to the Trojan horse thing. I do think that we do need to, as best we can, in our own little way, stand as guardians of the genre. And I like what you guys have said about being open-minded and let it go into its phases. But I do think, I do feel this need to be protective of it, which sounds weird. As long as you're not coming from a place saying, hey, horror movies have to be this. Right. Right. You know, because you can't do that. They've got to be what they're going to be. I agree. Uh, because if you're going to do that, we might not have gotten some of the best horror movies of 2017. Mm-hmm. Good point. And uh, speaking of the best horror movies of 2017, that is a great segue, Dr. Shock, into our top 10 horror movies of 2017. I am so pumped about this. Guys, I, I, I can't even... 
Like I, uh, I only got like two hours of sleep last night because I was one one thing I was so excited. Two, I was uh, watching movies, and three, I was like you know finishing the tallying. So I'm like just like on a live wire right now, just really pumped. So what we always do because Wolfman Josh, Doctor Shock, and I are so kind of obsessed with doing this, taking it seriously and doing it right. We always kind of give you like an idea of how our list was built. So we're going to start right now with our number 10 pick. And for your number 10 pick, guys, if you could preface this with by saying like how you built your list, let us know anything about your list that you'd like to say up front. And uh, that would be wonderful. So let's start off with Dr. Shock. Tell us how you arrived at your list and give us your number 10. Well, uh, my list, you know what? I, it's, my list is never, it's never exciting ways. I would come to get to my list. It's just, I do a lot of what Josh did is, is my list right now. It starts out a certain way. Um, you know, I, as I write, as I see these movies, I, I put them down and then I start knocking them off. And I, and when it gets down to the end, I say, okay, well, what movies, what were the 10 movies this year that, that really, stayed with me that that really like made me excited to be a horror fan that i guess that's that's what i'm looking at here what were those 10 films that when it was over i'm like yeah that was awesome that was great that that's what that's what being a horror fan is all about and that's where um i was coming from with these and and it was tough i mean i had to take a few movies off of this list that I wish I could have found room for in my top 10, but then I couldn't take any of the other ones off, you know? Um, and I think we're all in that position, mm-hmm. but that's what it was. These were the ones that like really excited me. And with that in mind, my number 10 film is raw. <laughs> uh, this was, this was, this was a French, um, a French movie that, that sort of harkens back to the, to the days not too long ago. Um, you know, inside I think is is what eight or nine years old now, and mm-hmm. and Martyrs is is about eight years old. Um, and this is a movie along those lines. I mean, there's a lot of disturbing gore in Raw, a lot of very difficult scenes. It's visceral, but by the same token, it is a very uh, intense coming of age tale in a way that you would not expect. And mm. I think the way that it, the, the story evolved is almost as interesting as where the director went with the blood and gore. And I think the two of them merged perfectly in this film. You know, they, they don't stand apart at any one time. They are they are always together as, um, you know, to tell this story. And I think it was done. I think it was done wonderfully with with yeah. uh, very strong performances as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because it fits into what we were just talking about. It's an example of a film that's about a person and it's a classic horror trope. Again, it, it goes back to the one, you know, that I think of is the Wolfman, of course, because that's my that's my bread and butter. But right. it's about a person wondering, like, am I a monster? Mm-hmm. Am right. I the monster? You know, and I love <laughs> right. that as a whole. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's that quote. Um, I, I've seen the monster, and the monster is me. Oh, right. <laughs> I love that. Well done. So that's uh, Dr. Shock's number 10, and it is raw. That is great. I saw it too. I might have for additional comments later on in the show. Um, all right. So, what I've done for my list, then, guys, uh, 
the, the first thing I want to say, and this is really kind of for the listeners too, this isn't just making excuses for me. I, I had some listeners send, like they'll say, they'd write a list and say, okay, I only saw like, you know, 30 horror movies this year. And, and there were only six that I thought deserved to be on a top 10 list. So I'm sorry about that. And they were all very apologetic about that. And what I just want to tell those listeners, and this is how I feel too, I mean, who among us, like who in the horror community, maybe there are a couple of people who got to see every single horror film that was released in 2017? Maybe, maybe, but um, that's very few. So any person, any horror fan who's putting together a list, obviously the assumption is you you make your list from what you've seen, and that's just the way it is, period. The other thing I wanted to say is... um. In years past, I have fought and kicked and clawed and scratched about the year of release, and both on Movie Podcast Weekly and on this show this year. I'm like, I'm not going to fight about that. I don't care. So whatever, whatever you think, if it's if it's a 2017 film to you, that's fine. I'm going to say what's 2017 film to me, and just move on from that. So anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from from my list. And my number ten, without further ado is Hounds of Love. And I want to thank the Wolfman Josh for bringing this to my attention. Australian film. And it is. This is written and directed by Ben Young. And this is the kind of film that I think is... uh, It it reminds me of... (laughs) of like the real-life horror that exists in the world. I'll give you just a quick story about this. When I was a little kid, I was at my aunt and uncle's and they were like in in town in this, um, you know... I, for lack of a better expression, this white trash part of town. <laughs> and um, and there was this couple, they were having this domestic dispute and it was awful. They were like running through the neighborhood and the, the woman was fleeing as, as the guy was beating her and slapping her around. And I'm like, you know, a six-year-old kid and we're outside having a water balloon battle. And like I witnessed this and it's just absolutely, I mean, it really upset me and I, it still stays with me. And so when I see a film like Hounds of Love, which is about the, you know, this couple, you, they abduct this girl for their, <laughs> for their twisted purposes, it's very, it's very upsetting because it's like, yeah, this kind of thing happens. And in 2017, one of the things we've heard about a lot is just the, the explosion of, uh, you know, sexual slavery. I mean, slavery still exists in the world, um, not just not just around the world, but in the United States as well. And, and so this kind of a theme is very upsetting. The film is um, pretty unflinching, honestly. And what I, think is, what I think is most unique about Hounds of Love and what surprised me most is they were not rushing to exploit. It wasn't like, okay, um, when Ben Young, I don't know Ben Young, I don't know his process for writing this film, but when he made this film, I can I can tell from looking at the finished product that he wasn't like, okay, we got to have a scare here on um, the next page because it, it's time for that. He didn't do that. He's like, okay, this is a couple. They're they're in reality in the real world. They're going to go about their business and do their things. And sometimes there were lulls in this film where kind of nothing happened, and this girl's just tied up in the bedroom. And I think that gave it a little more realism and made it even stronger. So anyway, Hounds of Love is uh, tr- truly a disturbing film. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, 
you know, biting my lip and just holding my breath at the end. I won't say how it ends, of course, but uh, I think the way that the the filmmaker plays with your expectations and what's going to happen and uh, (laughs) is this going to work out or is it not? Is it going to be dark? Is it going to be bleak? You know, it's just really fun to get there and see where it goes. So that's my pick. And thanks again, Josh, for recommending it. So glad you liked that. I, when I saw it, I thought Jay could love this, but he might not. And I never know anymore. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that he enjoyed it. That's awesome. Tell us about your list, Josh. So my list is weird this year. I think oftentimes what I do is I reserve my 10 spot and sometimes my bottom three spots for kind of lesser seen indie flicks that I think people maybe wouldn't have seen. So I give a film there, maybe extra attention over a studio film or a, or a sequel, you know, I try to fit those in at the bottom of my list, but this year I had so many just super high quality original films that I couldn't fit any in below like 18, you know? (laughs) So it was really, it was just really (laughs) hard. I, I had all of these other great movies and I saw two very close toward the end of the year where I was like, damn it. Cause now these have to go my top 10 <laughs> and, and I didn't have any room. I had to kick things out that I just absolutely loved. So um, it, my list is a little bit different this year than it has been in years past. The main thing that I do is I kind of do what I already said. I put, I put down every movie I've seen. I start clicking off the ones I like the least. I already kind of throughout the year know what my top 20 is going to look like to some degree, you know, and it changes as I see new films, but um, it, for me, it's a balance between what is the movie that is, you know, maybe technically the best made film that represents the horror genre, Mm -hmm. but that with, this film just knocked my socks off. This means so much, much to me personally and emotionally. And so for instance, last year, my list, I had green room at number one and the Wailing at number two, the Wailing was my favorite horror film that year in terms of, I just thought it had been made so well. I thought it was such a great example of horror, but green room was so personal to me. It had to be number one. And, you know, there are films like that this year where I just could not move them down because they were so personally um impactful for me but mm-hmm. my number 10 spot i had a difficult time with i i all i considered doing a tie but i decided not to and keep it pure and i decided to drop a film that i knew would be getting attention from others and put in the one of those two uh, that that i thought maybe wouldn't be seen as much and these are fil- this is a film that very similar that is very similar to raw and that it's about a young woman who is coming of age in college, having left home for the first time and is having to deal with this notion that she might be a monster. And <laughs> the film is called Thelma. And it's a Norwegian film and it's, you know, it's in theatrical release in the United States right now. Luckily it was at the Broadway in Salt Lake. So I was able to see it. And, um, and I am, sticking with your rule of the year release jay even if you're not i I think no i am too for the record but yes go ahead yeah you finally talked me into it i think just because we are a u.s based show we do films when they are released in the u.s and that's when they 
they come out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though of course our listenership is international, that's fine. And we get listeners who submit their lists from the UK or Canada or Australia may have different films, you know, that we may have counted in years past or in years to come. That's fine too. So, um, yeah, Thelma is my number 10. It's an incredibly well-made film. The reason I chose it over raw is again, because I think raw has a little bit, we'll get a little bit more exposure, but also I think, Thelma goes a lot further to establish the world and this character and her life than Ra does. Ra is very tight and compartmentalized and takes place over just a few days. And Thelma, we really see who this young woman is and what her struggle is. And I, I appreciate it a lot. I thought it was just an incredibly beautiful film. Nice. Yeah, I was, I've been very curious about this one. So. so rather than cannibalism, that film is dealing with someone who's more in the carrier fire starter uh, headspace. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting. All right, awesome. So that's Josh's number 10. It is Thelma. Okay. And now uh, we're getting to our collective listener list. And I'll just say a couple things about this real fast. So um, honestly, the reason to listen to this episode is not for our three lists, but for this collective right. HMP community list, um, what we do is we right. have them. We Excellent. we invite everybody to email in their lists and we have a, a point system where like the number one on your list gets 12 points, you know, so it gets the most number two rated film that that spot gets 10 points, three gets nine points and so forth. Okay. All the way down to your number 10 only gets two points and your honorable mention those get one point each, you know? And so I have this very um, awesome system that I'm pretty proud of, but it takes forever of tabulating and, and calculating all of this information that I get from all of you. So um, this year we got over on Movie Podcast Weekly, just to tell you, we got like 51 submissions for the Movie Podcast Weekly Top 10 show. On Horror Movie Podcast, we got 74 email submissions. Nice. Yeah, so it was great. Wow, that's awesome. It was amazing, and they did a great job. So I want to thank everyone who did that. It means a lot to us. We take this very seriously, as you could probably tell already. And so um, what I'm going to... You don't make it easy on them. They can't just tweet their list or put it at the website. They have to fill out an entire sheet. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And and you know what? They were kind enough to do it. And so what I'm going to do is give these people a shout out real fast. This goes faster than you might think, but I just want to, I want to acknowledge everybody who is contributing to this list here. So we got Joe McGregor, Wes Jones, Vicious Victor, Red Cap Jack, Nate C, Trey Whetstone. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Sifachi, Maxed Out 89, Dark Passenger, Sarah P in Oregon, David G, Andred in Ohio, Bill just east of Toronto, The Davy Dave, Snickens, I like her name, Snickens, Anthony R. in Beijing, China, Ryan B., Pastor Matt, Colin from Scotland, uh, Tony Lydon, uh, Amanda in St. Louis, The Mad Cetologist, uh, Jake the Dream Child, Creepster82 from Lisbon, Portugal, Jason Dragon, we got another Ryan B., <laughs> the second one is a different person. Um, Dan R, Jonathan W, Tim J, aka Jan Gal's twin. 
Jason S. Michelle P., who's on Twitter, at Mick Puller. Uh, Andrew F. Coleman W. from Texas. Sean of the Evil Dead. Susie Gareth Y. Lycan. Wilhelm S. Robin B. from the UK. Sunjay K. Shannon N. Frank the Fiend. Sean T. Rob from Belgium. Shane the Maniac Cop. Poison the Well. Slashly G. Uh, Serenya, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, everybody. Oliver O also goes by Mr. Ove Lover, I think. Sorry. Jordan Allen at Boiler Couple. Uh, Chris D, Donnie Darko from Belmar, New Jersey. Jody Horror Guy, John E, Frank Tweets, Nate B, End of Daves. I love that. Sal Roma, Dark Mark, Eric C, The Gray Man. Marco V. Kagan Breitenbach, of course. Brandon F. The Boogie Brand on Twitter. Uh, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. Dino King Gaidora. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Darian B., who is Jody's daughter. Uh, Michelle from Vermont. Ron S. from Wisconsin. Jeff Hammer. Brian Bashi. Juan in Texas. And Harveth from Columbia. Is that freaking awesome or what? That's that's great. great. I mean, I've noticed, you know, I recognized a number of those names, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot that I didn't. And that's incredible. I mean, that's that's wonderful. And I think it's King Ghidorah. Yeah, sorry. If it's, uh, Thank if you. It's, if it goes back to the uh, the the Godzilla, the, exactly. Um, you know, kaiju. But anyway, that that's that's awesome. I love the the fact that there's people in there that we're we're hearing from for the first time. Yeah, and yeah. King King Geeter as AKA as uh, DJ Godzilla. That's that's his name over on Movie Podcast Weekly. So that's that's hilarious. I love the the switching back and forth. Go ahead, Josh. What were you going to say? Sorry. Oh, nothing. Just what Dave said. Cool to hear from people we've never heard from. Also cool to hear some old names that I, I'm glad they're still with us. We haven't heard from them in a while, at least like on the message right. boards or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. fun to hear some of those old names pop up as well. Yeah. I want to give a shout out. Um, speaking of that to Levi, the unknown murderer. I, I haven't heard from that guy. I just wonder how he is. And Levi, if you're out there listening, just wanted to say hi, buddy. Here's an interesting factoid for everybody. This is very cool to me. Um, only one film made the listeners' top 10 list without being number one on anybody's list, which I think speaks to the widespread appeal of that particular film. And so what I'm saying is every other film on the listeners' top 10 is, is number one at least on one person's list. And that's kind of cool. Anyways, let's get down to it. <laughs> so number 10 for the listeners. Oh, one, one more thing. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying not to make this go too long but um so this year because we get so much and each year it grows and we get more uh, i used to have people write descriptions and i didn't ask for that this time but but when some people still sent it and i loved it and so i took those who did send like you know a little write up about it they're only a handful and I, and I took those, and so I do have those here, and I'll be giving some, actually, listener feedback on some of these here and there, just a little bit. Uh, and, and, but you're going to hear kind of some of the same names, and so I don't want you to think I'm just favoring those people. It's just that most people did not send descriptions, so that's why. Anyway, their number 10 is A Dark Song, and that was uh, Tony Leiden's number one pick oh, nice. of the year. 
Awesome. Nice. Yes. And so uh, Wes Bones writes about this. He says, creepiest film of the year. It was his number four, personally. He said, sent chills racing up and down the back of my neck. And that ending, love this movie. And it's so completely underrated. Wes gives it an eight out of 10. And then uh, Victor had to say, uh, unique, atmospheric, also gave it eight out of 10. It was Victor's number 10 on his list. A dark song. There you go. Nice. Okay, Dave, let's hear your number nine. My number nine is Jay of the Dead's number 10, Hounds of Love. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I, this is a, you know, there were several Australian films this year. This for me was the best of them. Um, but not only that, one thing that I really liked about this movie is that, you know, th- there's, um, as you were talking about, Jay, this sort of an abduction. They, they, these, this couple abducts this young girl. And we're following the young girl for a while, but once she's abducted, it all of a sudden becomes the couple's story. And the young girl is sort of pushed to the background in a way, not completely, but quite a few times. When you're saying how there's not a lot happening, you know, as far as further in the story, but there is this in developing these two characters, this this woman and this guy, where we're thinking, you know, we think they're um, the couple is one way at the beginning, and then we realize it's something completely different as it's going along, not completely different, but different enough to, to add this, this sort of layer of this dynamic to them um, that, that this girl realizes, Hey, maybe I can exploit this. And I liked that about this film. Um, and you're right. This is, this is another uh, sort of unflinching movie and Australia. We got a few of them this year, um, but it really did impress me. And I, uh, I was, I was blown away by this. So yeah, that's my number nine is Hounds of Love. Mm-hmm. Great pick. Cool. <laughs> Love it. You know, I'm with you on that. All right. Yep. So um, I'll bring in my number nine here. Here's the thing. I heard so much about this film this year. There was no way that I was not going to see this because I, I had to see it because everybody's raved about it quite a bit. And, and unfortunately, I wish I had heard nothing and had just watched it. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing because my expectations were so high. And plus, after hearing a lot of reviews, which all the reviews were great, but um, I had kind of in my mind what I thought it was, what I suspected it was going to be. And so the whole time while watching this movie, I, uh, I was expecting it to be that thing that I thought I understood it to be. And here it was something different altogether. And so this is a, a film whose uh, original title was February. It's The Black Coat's Daughter. But I, I did see it. And it's... Very it's cool. nice. I, awesome. I'm glad you saw it. I, I, I mean, I'm yeah, glad you liked it. I wasn't sure you would like it because it does have the paranormal slow burn kind of thing going on. But. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so, um, it's so intriguing, actually. Like, there are some things about this that I really love. And, and just like everyone else who has reviewed it before me, <laughs> I'll just be really careful about what I say. This is written and directed by Oz Perkins. And, um, you, you know, the casting, as you all have said, the performances in this are fantastic. The, uh, what I hear most about this film, um, I know I, I can remember Dino saying this, I think that it's just so atmospheric. I mean, when you're watching this, it, it kind of seeps into your bones like that wet, cold, you know, that you get in the East, huh, Dave? I mean, you, it, it seeps into you. Yes. And then when you see what this thing is becoming and, and how it's unfolding, 
it's uh it's very unsettling and troubling and i think some of the imagery um i'll just leave it at that kind of the supernatural related type of imagery i love i love that design that they got there so this thing um i was very impressed with it and i was also impressed with the degree to which it is set in realism you know because you could say okay yeah there are supernatural influences going on here or you could just say, um, you know, this is just kind of like with the Babadook, you know, it could be, you know, some kind of psychosis or, you know, you know, frailty of the human mind or whatever. But anyway, the Black Coat's Daughter, if you did not see it because you were resisting all the hype like I was, plus the title did nothing for me. I'm kind of a, I'm a jerky judge. You know, I, I judge that, like, I'm like, Black Coat's Daughter, what's that even mean? I, 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 that doesn't appeal to me and blah, blah, blah. But 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 no, no, no. You know, take the time and see it and um, and enjoy it. Just enjoy yourself, relax, and watch it. It's powerful. Okay. This is also one of those, for people confused about release dates, that, that was one that originally came out in the UK back in 2015. It's actually Oz Perkins' premiere debut film, but it's taken so long to come out in the United States. His second film, The Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, actually came out last year. And so right. that, this is one of those weird releases where it's a 2017 film for U.S. viewers. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And we actually, you know, I got some lists. You know, they had this on their list and they had it listed as February. Um, and so I think that, you know, probably in some places it still must be called February. But anyways. Or they saw it or they might have seen it at a at a, um, a festival. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true, too. Get that title uh, at a number of festivals. Good point. Good point. Okay, Wolfman, I think we're down to your number nine, sir. Well, (laughs) my number nine, and I've got two on my list that I just felt like were kind of obvious for how low on the list they are. But again, there were just so many great movies. I couldn't really replace it with anything else. So this is a dark song. I mean, it's an incredible movie. It's it nice. is so dark. It's so strange. I love the scene, just the procedural of these characters going through what they're going through, and I love the mystery that's tied up in the way the film reveals even who they are, what they're doing, uh, why they're doing it. And it was surprisingly, I did, I was able to see it a second time. It was surprisingly rewatchable because I thought a film like that, which depended so much on the very slow release of information might not hold up on a second viewing, but I thought it did. And mm. I, yeah, it was just such a unique movie. I've never seen anything quite like a dark song. Mm-hmm. I remember earlier in the, I mean, man, people were raving about that on Twitter. And I remember, um, yeah. I've always wanted and, to see it. I think, I think rightly so too, because you, you really go back and forth with these characters, you know, it's like, okay, is, is, is this, is this one telling the truth? Is this one being perfectly honest? Um, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. Wow, look at what she's doing now. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's interesting because it's a two-character film, but yet it's still so it just pulls you in and in what one they're location. going through. And one location, yes. And what they're going through and what they're trying to accomplish, or what you first think they're trying to accomplish, then what eventually happens. And, you know, it, it really just takes you. And by the end, I mean, it's to the point where, you know, yes, it's, it's a dark brooding film, but by the end, it's just so dark and so brooding 
that it's it becomes difficult to you know to watch it uh, toward not the very end, but as it's building to that, you know, uh, and yeah. with what transpires, um, you know, uh, between these two people, it's it's just it, it's very unsettling. And there's a moment of light in the film which I just think is so completely unique and different and awesome that it just surprised me. It was not at all what I ever thought I would see in this movie, but I was like, wow, that's incredible. Like that is shocking and awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. That's on my list. Then I'm going to, I'm going to get to that very soon. All right. So uh, that brings us to the listeners. Number nine, and it is Gerald's game. And so we had uh, nice. Yeah, two people had this at their number one for the year. Jason Dragon had it as his number one, and Bill, just east of Toronto, had it at number one. And Bill writes, "Uh, Great plot and source material, great practical body effect. Love the depth of the storyline, creepy atmosphere. Only downfall was the rushed ending. And then um, Brian Bashi wrote, I love Mike Flanagan. I'm excited to see everything he does. And you know why this isn't higher on the list for me? And and part of me feels like I'm forcing it into my top 10 because I know it truly belongs there. But nonetheless, so anyways, that's Gerald's game. And I got to back the listeners on that. Great pick. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dave, what is your number eight? My number eight is a movie called Mayhem. <laughs> this is a, um, it's set in an office building. The idea is that there is this virus going around that that people get it and it it breaks down the barrier between um, emotions and self control. So basically, mm-hmm. you lose control when when you get this virus and then your emotions take over. You can become exceed, exceedingly violent. Uh, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but I think it's interesting because there were two movies released this year that had a setting in an office. Where where people were locked in and had to deal with each other Three, under actually, certain circumstances. Oh, that Watchmen. Oh, okay, yeah, and I, I haven't seen that one. I'm thinking the Belko experiment, and obviously uh, Mayhem. Yeah, uh, Mayhem for me is the better of the two. Um, there is comedy in this, but yet it's so dark. Um, and this movie it's incredibly violent at times, um, but yet it's building to something and it's building to something this guy wants that that you wouldn't think you know if i were to describe it to you now you wouldn't think well that's not much but when you see how how the raw emotions that that take over and how and and how it plays out i think it it becomes you're tied up in it you're like wow this is like the most important thing in the world just like this guy um i don't know if i'm explaining that properly I don't want to go into too many spoilers with this because I do want people to say it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it'd be an interesting double feature if you do it with a Belko experiment and Mayhem. But for me, Mayhem is the better of the two. So um, that's my number eight. Nice. And yeah. Josh, what did you say the title was for that third one? It was kind of a similar premise. Uh, the Night Watchman. It's not a similar premise, but it is um, some people get trapped in their office building at night. In that case, with killer vampire clowns. So, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Is that from 2017 that year? It yeah. surely is, and it's currently streaming on Amazon. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so uh, going to my number eight. Speaking of killer clowns, uh, <laughs> uh, it is it. Right, chapter one. <laughs> Here's the thing, and maybe people will be surprised. This is so low, but 
I think that speaks to how great the films were this year. This, the best thing I can say about this film, and, and I mean this too, like, I think what impressed me so much about it is it's not just a scary horror film because it is that. I think this is genuinely scary. But what really impressed me is that the whole, the whole, uh, <laughs> the whole circle, you know, it ran the gamut of a great filmmaking. I mean, it looked great. The performances are great. The story is great. I mean, like, this is like on the level. There are very few horror films, in my opinion, you know, that really get everything right. Like, we often praise, like, The Shining for being a masterpiece or The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing for being a masterpiece because it has all the elements. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's still early. I, I'd have to see it maybe more and consider it longer and maybe see how the second part fits together with it to decide if it's a masterpiece. So I won't go there, but I know it was a 9.5 for me and I was just genuinely impressed with every aspect. And the fact that it was still scary, even though like clowns don't really freak me out that much, um, they did just a, a great job with this film. So uh, yeah, that is my number eight and it is it. Okay. All right, Wolfman Josh, what is your number eight? Uh, that would be Gerald's Game, which was a movie that I kind of didn't want to include on my list because I just there were so many others I wanted to put on and I had some issues with the ending. And um, but man, I just could not deny how incredible Carlo Gugino's performance is, how great that backstory with the father is. It is incredible. The you know, obviously the big scene that everyone knows about whether you've seen the movie or not, just how intense that gory scene is. But, but more than that, the private desperation that this person is going through is she reflects on her life at what she believes might be the moment of her death. Again, just an incredible humanist horror film. And I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Great pick. Excellent. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah. And that's streaming on Netflix. Everybody. We want to, if you haven't seen it yet, all right, so now that brings us to the listeners' uh, collective number eight pick. And this, guys, I have to tell you, this shocked me. I can't believe um, that this is on here. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that like dissing them or anything, but I'm just saying I'm shocked. And it is Mother. Yes, Mother. Um, <clears throat> this Ooh. this has uh, four different people gave it their number one spot of the year. Jeff Hammer, Michelle from Vermont, Rob from Belgium and David G. And uh, Brian Bashi writes, the most hated movie of the year is also the most ambitious. Not sure if I'm sold on the horror aspects, but I needed to get it on one of my lists. And sadly, this is the thinnest of the two. There is nothing like this film. I love it for its complete audacity. So uh, I was, I was surprised, honestly, guys, to see our community embrace this. So really, why, why is that? I, I don't know. I, I just, for what I know that, how do I say this the right way without people being like, Jay is such a jerk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, I know that the horror community is very sophisticated and like all the people listening to this podcast are smarter than I am. I know that and I acknowledge it, but I just want to say for a, gr- a group of people who are okay and love things like 80 slashers, it's really it's really surprising for me to think that they'll they'll 
give Darren Aronofsky, you know, they'll, they'll give him a chance to take them on this ride and be like, yep, that's pretty horrifying and upsetting. And, you know, just, <laughs> just the fact that they appreciate it, you know, I, I mean, I, I respect that a lot. I, and I, I didn't hate this film um, by any means. I mean, I thought it was intriguing and very impressive yeah. and am- ambitious, but I'm just saying I was so shocked that it ended up in their top 10 list. I think for me, um, it, it made my top 50, like the movies I still thought were good enough to say were good movies this year. But I, it, for me, I, I think it was just that the metaphor was so transparent to me that it almost made it boring to watch. That was my issue with it. Like I knew instantly what it was supposed to be. And it just seemed so obvious to me that it just felt like a high school student pounding me over the head with their story, you know, their, their creative essay, you know, that's supposed to keep me in the dark, but I just knew what it was when I've read reviews from people who didn't see it the way I did and had their own interpretations. I thought, wow, that, that sounds way more interesting than what I thought I was watching. But it, to <laughs> me, to me, the metaphor is clear. And so I think, you know, it's just so on the nose for me, I guess that was my issue with it, but there's no denying the brutality that this character suffers, the incredible visuals that Aronofsky presents, the horror that happens to these people. Um, it's all in there. It's just, I don't know, a little ham-fisted for my taste. Well, and I agree with everything you just said. I, I just, and it's really interesting <laughs> the way you just described all that, because when I wa I agree with you, like you see you see exactly the metaphor and it's pretty um heavy handed. But if you do end up watching it again, the way I view it, and I think this would be interesting for people if if nobody else viewed it this way, I don't know. But if you look at her as like the way celebrities, like if she if she represents a celebrity and um well in particular her husband, if he represents a celebrity right. and the way that the um you know, all the fandom encroach and, and kind of, you know, uh, burden their lives with their love, so to speak. And, and I think if you view it from that, I mean, because that's what I did. I shifted gears in my mind and I'm like, you know, I'm going to kind of look at it from this. And I actually enjoyed it more when I did that. I could see that for sure. Yeah. And if you take it at face value, it just must be this most puzzling, <laughs> insane film where just you can never guess what's going to happen next but if you can if you have the key to unlock it you know exactly what's going to happen next all the way through to the end of the movie <laughs> yes you know? that's true <laughs> uh, for sure all right so that's uh the listeners number eight it was mother all right uh dr shock what is your number seven all right well first let me say that mother was one of the movies i did not get a chance to see unfortunately um, there were four films that I really wanted to get to, and I just never got to. And unfortunately, Mother was one of them. Um, but anyway, my number seven, I don't know, Jay, I, I think we're in tune here because my number seven is your number eight. It's it. <laughs> um, and this is a movie that, first off, it was just a hell of a great experience seeing this in the theater. Uh, probably one of my favorite theater experiences, probably maybe the last 10 years even, um, if I were going back. Just sitting there and, and and being pulled in and being so scared. I mean, this you're right. This is a scary movie, and I loved that aspect of it. I really liked the the collection of kids that they got for this film. 
Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I think it's coming out on Blu-ray in a couple weeks. Um, maybe even sooner. It might even be this coming Tuesday. I'm not sure. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Now, you go back to the 1990 It. And, of course, the first section of the 1990 It is the better of the two. There's no doubt about it with the kids, again. Um, when they got to the second part, it kind of fell apart for me anyway, the 1990 It. It kind of fell apart for me when it got to the adults. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what part two looks like. And it's almost like I'm, uh, I want to see part two, but I also kind of don't want them to do a part two because part one was so awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I just love this film so much that that I don't know if I want a part two to come in and, and spoil it, kind of like the second half of it, spoil the first half of it in 1990. Um, but still, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be watching it. And it was just... For me, um, it, it was just one of the one of the, the most uh, entertaining experiences of the year. So I had to make room for it on my list. Yeah, that, so that's my number seven. <laughs> Great pick. You know, I agree with you. All right. Um, so then let's see. That brings us. All, I think it's me. Right. Okay. So I guess my number seven then is is Alien Covenant. Now. <laughs> yeah i know like <laughs> and and in fact um and i don't want to spoil anything for the listeners list but but man i was surprised at how relatively speaking how little love this film got because honestly guys i and i'm being serious i i thought this was a genuinely scary movie and even though it's like the same kind of alien type stuff you know like okay Let's look at it this way. So the first and second alien, uh, of course, are just incredible. The third alien, uh, it's still an alien movie. I don't love that one. And everybody knows that I love um, Alien Resurrection as a weird guilty pleasure. No, it doesn't fit great with the franchise, and I, I recognize that. And then you got Prometheus, which is kind of weird. I mean, it's a very fun sci-fi film. I, I enjoy it and love it for a sci-fi film as like an alien type of prequel. Don't love it for that. But then when you get to this movie, I'm like, oh, we are back. We are back. This is what alien movies are. And and man, I was wincing and squirming and, and scared. And I, I loved this movie. I think it's one of the great experience theater experiences for me this year. I sat by uh, Matt Troyd. I got to go by it with the uh, the sci-fi podcast. And of course, that added to it and made it more fun. But but still, I was really afraid when I saw this movie. So I think it's really well done. It's a beautiful film. I think it looks great. Uh, there, It's not without its flaws. I will agree that there are some definite um, imperfections. But still, for me, it's my number seven, Alien Covenant. All right. All right. Well, I'm happy for you. Okay. <laughs> I know you're not much of an alien guy in the first place, though, Josh. So I'm not I, much of an alien guy, but I would say that I thought this was maybe the second worst in the franchise. So. <laughs> ouch. Ouch. You're not alone. Uh, a lot of people are very displeased. I'll just tell you that much. Okay. Uh, Wolfman Josh, then what is your number seven? My number seven is Personal Shopper. And I've talked about it a little bit. Previous to this, it's the film that I mentioned has 20 minutes of texting and a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> but I was still on the edge of my seat throughout the film. And also add to that, Kristen Stewart is the star of it, who I loathe. 
And so mm-hmm. for me to be able to even watch her for this length of time was new for me. Um, you know, I think this is her best performance by a long shot. I think it's better than Adventureland and American Ultra, which are the only other two films I'll give her partial credit for. And um, man, she was great in this. The movie was mesmerizing to me. It's about uh, a young lady who lives in Paris. Well, she's not. She's staying in Paris. And she is assisting a famous woman that she works for in shopping. Uh, But meanwhile, she's also dealing with the, the death of her brother. And she considers herself kind of a medium. And she's waiting to hear from her brother from the other side as to whether or not an afterlife exists, essentially. And she's having run-ins with ghosts. She's having run-ins with uh, mysterious texters who may or may not be from the other side of the veil. And she's dealing with uh, real-life murder. And so it's pretty incredible, I think. And um, Olivier Asseas was the director of this one. And he's such a strange, interesting filmmaker. And I would like to see more horror outings from him because i think this is a great one let me ask you a quick question about uh kristen stewart so did you see her in the woody allen film cafe society the one yeah. that, before this okay because i up you know as far as i, I was concerned that above american ultra under adventureland maybe yeah because i for, thought for that her. was probably her best performance that i've seen where i'm like okay i guess well uh, apparently she can act when push comes to shove but but i'm glad to hear you say that that's her best performance so i mean i think so i've been intrigued about this movie i haven't seen it yet but i do want to so i mean i, I will say of the people i know i feel like you may appreciate this the least oh okay <laughs> just because of its slow burn nature and it's you know when there are things happening they're kind of vague and paranormal but mm-hmm. i i think if you're up for seen an interesting film experiment and use of technology in film, you might enjoy it just to see that because it really is done well. And it is, it's done in a way that doesn't feel like it's happening. It just feels like real life. Like, you know, you're there and, and this is how our modern world plays out. And I don't know. I found that interesting. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. That's uh Josh's number seven. It's personal shopper. And that brings us to the collective hive mind of the HMP listenership, the Borg. Um, Their number seven is the devil's candy. And we had this, this was, (laughs) this was number one in one, two, three, four, five, six people's list. One. Yes. yes, One in Texas. It was his number one. We got Brandon F um, on Twitter at the boogie brand. We got Sal Roma. It was Sal's number one. Poison the well. Jangel's twin. Coleman W. from Texas. And so here's what Juan wrote about The Devil's Candy. He said, When a movie incorporates my favorite music genre and imagery to create an atmosphere so dense with dread that leaves me consuming myself and my own thoughts, you know I have to place it at the very top. That's what Juan said. awesome. Yes. And then, um, let me see, we had a... Very cool. Wes Bones says, A good old-fashioned straight-up horror film, love... Um, loved the scene using the peephole in the door. Also loved how the director closed it with the fire scene. Um, anyways, eight out of ten. That's West. 
And then uh, one last one I'll read from Brian Bashi. He says, one of my favorite films of the new century is The Loved Ones. This doesn't affect me nearly as much as that film does, but Sean Byrne's sophomoric effort still has moments of brilliance that have me continually wanting more from him in the genre. So that's a great correct use of sophomoric. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Sophomore effort. Right, right. So, uh, anyways, Devil's Candy. We've heard we've heard about this all year. Lots of raving, and so we knew that this was this was going to end up. I I was certain. I'm like, well, this is definitely going to be in the listeners' top ten. So, no surprise there for that one. Yeah, if we have newer listeners, you know, one of the things we didn't mention in our year of review is we did a heavy metal horror episode, which was pretty fun. And we talked about Deathgasm, which is a crazy movie, but we also reviewed The Devil's Candy and we got a chance to have Ethan Embry, the star of the film, and Sean Byrne, the director of the film, on the show and interview both of them. So I would recommend going back and listening to those interviews if you haven't had a chance yet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, uh, so Dr. Shock, that brings us to your number six. My number six is one of the ones I've seen um, very recently, and it is the killing of a sacred deer. Um, I <laughs> think what it is, yes. yeah, what it, what it is with this movie, <laughs> it's so mannered in the way that the characters are, the way that it is presented. And you are expecting that to turn at some point. You're expecting a switch. Uh, and you do get it to a degree, but not as much as I was expecting. And it is building to something, and you know it's building to something. And what I think is not, uh, something else is interesting is you start out feeling one way about a couple of the characters, and you're very different at the end, and you realize they're not the people you thought they were. Um, this movie just really impressed me. And as I was watching it, I'm halfway through it and I said, oh, I don't even know if this will make the, you know, this, I don't even know if this will be an honorable mention, but the way it just sort of worked on me, it really got to me and especially how it ended up. So yeah, for me, this is, um, this is number six. Uh, the, uh, and I, I, I am looking forward to seeing it again. The presentation is so unsettling. I would agree with you. And the thing that I found yeah. most disturbing of the whole film, and I will say this vaguely so as to hopefully not spoil it for anyone, the daughter's character arc was just so unnerving yes. to me. I was yes. like, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But um, I, I will have some words for you later, Dr. Shock, but I'll, I won't do that here. I'll save it for later in the show. Okay. <laughs> All right. The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Interesting. I didn't know Dr. Shock would pick that movie, but I'm glad you did because that makes it fun. Okay. What about, what about, what about you? Uh, well, actually, it's my turn, so I'll go to me. Sorry, I was just shaken by that one. Okay. My number six is... <laughs> By the film? You're so blown away by <laughs> yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Doc picking it. No, my number six is The Devil's Candy. So, um, yes, yeah, so I've, cool. I've heard, you know, raves about this all year. And I just want to be real honest. Yeah, because sometimes for me, a big stumbling block is uh, the title. And I, I don't know what it was. There was just something about this title where I, I, I just didn't want to see it. And I kept hearing everybody's like, oh, you got to see this film. You got to see this film. And so finally I did. 
And it is um, kind of like the way I was describing it earlier in like the thing in the shining where all the aspects come together and it is a, a truly a piece of great filmmaking. But what I really love about this and a few films in 2017 have done this this year, it, it, it brings something that is a, a familiar uh, trope, basically, for lack of a better word, or like, you know, the, the quote-unquote monster in this, the, the killer that we have. Um, that, seeing that, I haven't been that disturbed by seeing a, a, a killer do things since, um, probably since seeing Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. Honestly, wow. I mean, I mean, this really um, unnerved me. I mean, it bothered me a great deal. Uh, I was um, amazed at the performances in this, and so I, I hate, I almost hate being, you know, on the bandwagon with everybody else and be like, yeah, you guys are right. I'm late to the party, but it's great. But I, I have to confess, it is a truly a great horror film. I do think that the, um, and I'm going to be really careful how I say this, like, this does have, like, as you said, Josh, it was reviewed during our um, heavy metal episode, and I think some of the incorporation of that is, is like, it, it pushes it pushes me a little bit, uh, my limits, like, I'm like, mm, okay, like, but but still, even so, I mean, I think a lot of people would just say, totally badass and so i appreciate that anyway the devil's candy definitely has to be in the top 10 there is no way of leaving it out and if you haven't seen it this year it is a must see be at the top of your list okay all right that, that, i do have a comment about the use of metal that maybe if we ever do kind of a post-mortem review we should talk about okay. um, and like a mini spoiler discussion because i actually recently heard someone else talking about it and they totally blew open the side of my brain when I realized I had never even considered what they were talking about. there. So. Oh, good. Well, good. Yeah. Cause I would love, like if you had some information that could help me feel a little bit better about like, you know, especially toward like the later parts of the film, then I, I would love that because I, I want to love it even more. I love it quite a bit now, though. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, it's a nine. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's another where I just was really hoping you'd get to it, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that you glad you liked it. Yeah, it's an it's a nine out of ten for me for sure. So, all right, all right. and uh, Wolfman Josh, what is your number six? So this year seems to be the year of Australian horror, from what we're seeing on these lists. Um, of course. You know, uh, The Devil's Candy is kind of an Australian film and Better Watch Out is also kind of an Australian film. So um, even though they're not explicitly Australian like some of the others we're talking about. Last year was seemed to be the year of South Korean horror. And it was getting to pretty close to the end of the year. And I was finalizing my list and I just realized I have not seen one South Korean horror film this year. What is going on? <laughs> I thought I thought we were in a renaissance I thought we were in the golden <laughs> age of South Korean horror. So I started looking up some titles and I found two that were kind of among the most critically acclaimed and tried to see if I get my hands on them. And of those two, I was able to get my hands on one of them. <laughs> so, okay. and of, it's landing here on my list. It was one of the best movies I've seen this year. It's based on a novel. And I would say, I think that's its biggest weakness because I think it, like we see with some adaptations, I think it's a little too faithful to uh, kind of a 
the novel storytelling approach and it would be stronger as a film if it abandoned some of that, I think, but this is one of the best horror performances I've seen all year. It's called memoir of a murderer and it's directed by Shin Young Won and is based on a murderer's guide to memorization is the name of the novel by Young Ha Kim. And this was a huge hit in South Korea, I think it's one of the you know highest grossing films ever for this time of year, and just a crazy story. the The short description that you'd see like on IMDb is not exactly accurate, and it kind of set me up for a little bit of disappointment. So I don't want to regurgitate <laughs> what they've done there because it's just not quite what it is. Oh. But what you. I was such a bummer because I read that, Josh, and I was just getting ready to say, Josh, I love this premise. I love it. (laughs) Well, the premise is still awesome. It's just not exactly the way the film is presented. What you do have here is this older gentleman who seems like this loving father, and he's a veterinarian, but he's suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's, and it's just starting to kick in at the beginning of the movie. And you can tell already, like, it's bad or it's going to get bad. Like, he's forgetting where he's at. He's forgetting old friends. He's forgetting their names, you know, and his daughter has to pick him up from the police station. And he's just not having a great time of it. And he is driving home one day and he's in a traffic accident in this really foggy, beautiful road. And he smashes into the back of this other car and the trunk pops open of that car. And he sees what he thinks might be a dead body bleeding from the back of the trunk and what we start to realize about our main character is he himself is also a serial killer and he's identifying another person who he believes is a serial killer but the film is constantly toying with your expectations and and your sense of reality because his memory is shot and is going and he's mis uh, remembering things and he's misidentifying people And so you're never quite sure what you're looking at. And I would say the film I could compare most closely to that I've ever seen is Memento. I would call this Korean Memento. Oh, interesting. (laughs) But um, it goes more straight up horror than Memento does. And uh, it's just one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. I just think the reason I rated a little bit lower is because of that novelistic approach. And, And some of just what seems to be refusal to edit. It does jog along at such a slow pace at times that I just, it would be a very boring rewatch, which is unfortunate because this type of movie seems like it should reward repeat viewings because you can see different takes on what you thought you saw and what was happening when, but um, they just drag out some of these memory loss moments that it is just a little bit, grading to have to live through that because you are as a character living through you're disoriented at sometimes the same way the character is disoriented mm-hmm. so anyway i think that would be a hard second viewing but i as a first viewing i highly recommend it and you can stream this on amazon and youtube and google play and all over the place in the u.s that sounds like a great great movie actually i'm, yeah, I'm very I'm looking, intrigued i'm really looking forward to seeing that one <laughs> super cool awesome all right. Well, thank you, Josh. Get a little bit of foreign cinema in there for us. That's excellent. All right. So our uh, our listeners came in with a tie. 
it, like they had, like when I added up the points, right? Um, both these films had exactly the same number of points, which is 175 points. And so the, number six is tied with Better Watch Out, tied with Annabelle Creation. Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so Better Watch Out, let me just say here this little fact for you. It, it's the only film um, that was that wasn't number one on somebody's list of those 74 people, but it still managed to rack up 175 points and, and get in this sixth place position. And by the way, it was in second place on one person's list and then third place on many people's lists. Okay. So it's not like, I mean, this is really well loved. I'm just saying it was interesting that it was the only film that didn't get number one. But anyways, uh, Snickens, she writes, I went into this, better watch out, blind. I had no idea what it fully was about or the outcome, which made it even more shocking and fun. And I agree, that's a great way to approach it. And then, uh, let's see here. Bill, just east of Toronto, says, The best Christmas horror I've seen in years. And um, so I, I have to agree with that, too. Now, um, as far as Annabelle Creation, which is their tie, um, two different people had this as their number one film of the year. And that was Jake the Dream Child. And then John E. And let's see. We got, I'm going to see if we get any comments from somebody that maybe I haven't heard from. Nope. Okay, so Snickens, she says, um, I loved this. Uh, favorite out of the whole Conjuring series. It freaks me out each time I've seen it. I love getting others to see it for the first time because everyone else has loved it and gets freaked out too. And that's really fun to have a horror movie like that. So, huh, I like that. Anyways, um, that's Annabelle Creation and Better Watch Out. That's the listener's tie for number sixth it's awesome okay we're getting we're getting to the top five here dr shock what is your number five five okay well let me just throw this out here i'm going to mention the other three movies i did not get around to seeing because annabelle creation is one of them that's probably the glaring omission on uh that i uh, or the one that i that's the one that really stands out for me that i didn't get to see because I really wanted to see Annabelle Creation. Um, the other two are, the, are a couple of sci-fi movies. I didn't get to see Life, and I didn't get to see Alien Covenant. Those are the ones I really wanted to see, and I did not get a chance to see them. Uh, that aside, my number five is uh, one of the listeners number six. It's Better Watch Out. And <laughs> I think we're going to be talking more about that. Um, I'm assuming. I don't know. We don't discuss our list ahead of time. Mm-mm. We might be hearing more about that later. Um, but it's, um, you know, Chris Peckover's, um, Christmas horror movie and it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, and if, if you want to know how we feel, just check out our previous episode, uh, where we, where we reviewed it. But, um, for me, it belongs in the top five. Uh, and it's one that I plan to watch every Christmas. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I totally back you on that. And, um, I'm glad that movie got some love this year. That's good. All right. Good picks. What about you? Oh, well, it's always me after you. I, I keep forgetting the order. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, my number five is, um, I think this will turn out to be, I'm not trying to overstate it. I know that maybe it's been oversold to people, but I think this will turn out to be one of the great horror films of the 2010s, and that is Get Out. 
I think this film is fantastic. And over on Movie Podcast Weekly, when I did my top 10 list over there, I excluded all horror films to just save all the horror for this list over here because I didn't want to reveal anything or, you know, so forth. And so, but it was painful to leave Get Out off of that list, you know, because I, I wanted it in my all genres list. Um, anyways, I think there's so much about this film that was surprising to me. But uh, above all, of course, I think is just how intelligent it is. I love horror cinema that has something to say. I mean, you can go into this movie and just watch it as just a straight up horror movie, turn your brain off and still think it's pretty creepy, you know, and, and, you know, you still get some scares. But when you do think about it, though, if you do give it your attention and try to look at what, you know, some of the themes are and what the filmmaker is saying, uh, it gets a lot more powerful and, and a lot more upsetting. Anyways, I can't imagine, I mean, just being a, being a, a, a privileged uh, white guy who's had very little uh, trouble in my life with persecution of any sort, aside from my opinions on this podcast. <laughs> just kidding. Aside from that, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, how this must resonate with people who have had awful experiences and, and some of the things that are being riffed on here. But anyway, I think this is genuinely an important horror film. I think it's... um a must-see, and in as much as I, I love to praise this and recommend it to people, I always feel like if if maybe people aren't willing to um, kind of wrestle with the material or think about it longer, if they just like at first blush and dismiss it, which I've seen that happen a lot, then they might be a little underwhelmed and disappointed. So I try not to oversell it, but man, it's my number five, and it's like a 9.5 out of 10, get out. Okay. All right. So, Josh, uh, I think that brings us to your number five. Uh, what do you have for us? My number five is It. From Andy Muschietti, adapted from Stephen King. I feel like the Losers Club here is just phenomenal. It's just a great collection of kid actors. I especially love Bev and Ben and... It's just so much fun to watch these yeah. these characters and these kids Agreed. go through this, and the the town that it takes place in is such a excellent casting of Derry. I was so primed for this movie. I talked about this when we reviewed it, but you know, I was in the middle of Alaska, in the middle of nowhere, when uh, this film came out, and I had prepped myself before leaving. I'd watched Stand by Me. I'd rewatched it from nineteen ninety. And then I took the novel of Stephen King's It with me and read that in the in a cabin in the woods over a 15-day period where my life was on the line. <laughs> and I was <laughs> facing real-life horrors, and then I'd come back to this little cabin and read it in the dark by myself by lamplight. And uh, when I the first thing I did when I got wow. back to civilization was go straight to the movie theater in Fairbanks, Alaska, and watch it before I had to catch my airplane ride home. And I had so much fun in that movie theater and I bought the Blu-ray on pre-order already. I, I can't wait for it to come out. I hear there's a director's cut coming out. So I'm slightly regretting purchasing the Blu-ray already, but <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to the director's cut and just an awesome movie experience. And I, I would have a little bit higher 
but I let people get to me. I let them get in my head. And I heard people talk about Chris Peckover, actually <laughs> directing another movie somewhere on my list. I heard him refer to it as a scare salad and I don't love that aspect of it. I don't love that there's a jump scare every 10 minutes. And I, I feel like if they had just held off on some of those, I would have appreciated the film even more than I did, but I loved it. It was amazing. <laughs> So um, are, are you saying that uh, jump scares are inherently bad or just jump scares for jump scares sake? Just too many jump scares okay. take away from the uh, nice long building of tension, which I think this film could have a huge amount of dread and tension in it, but they relieve it quite often. And most of the time it's good. Occasionally it's not. And I just prefer, you know, I don't like cheap. Nobody likes cheap jump scares if they're honest. And Mm-hmm. Um, right. I feel like if they just excised a few of those, the film would have been even better. Uh, I also really hate the moment when Pennywise does the Matrix jump. <laughs> 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 if you could take that part out, then you know there there are, there are a couple things I don't like about. It. I would say, oddly, the two Stephen King adaptations on my list are the films I have the most issue with on my list <laughs> in terms of I have problems with the movies. But I also loved both of them and especially it, this just transported me. It was like a time machine as a film. So I really enjoyed it. I gotcha. Okay. Well, great pick. Josh says it is his number five. And that brings us to the collective HMP listenership. Their number five is M night Shyamalan's split. (laughs) And, uh, three people had this as their number one film of the year. That was, uh, West bones, Lichen and Robin B from the UK. And by the awesome. way, just a little side note here on these, uh, these people whose descriptions that I have that who wrote up descriptions, it's on one hand, it's uncanny because it's like so many of their, the things that they picked in their lists ended up in the overall top 10 list. And if people are wondering about that, I will say something I observed surprisingly, a lot of the films in the listener top 10 list were, were pretty much in common. So, I mean, it, what I'm saying is like, you know, basically the listenership for the most part, by and large, picked mostly the same films. So that was pretty interesting. And, and, and a lot of them, as you can tell, are, are a little more mainstream as well. So, um, you know, not a lot of like obscure indie stuff coming out here. So uh, that's interesting. I just thought I'd point it out. But anyways, um, so Wes, who had his, his, his number one, he said, can't say enough about the stellar performance of James McAvoy. Amen. Uh, key scene is him going through all of his personalities, acting in his highest art form. M. Night is back. Bring on glass. I <laughs> love it. And then uh, Excellent. the last little one I'll read here is just from, from Bill. He says, strongly acted by James McAvoy. While the story is not original, McAvoy's character certainly was, and the scenes with the psychiatrist seem to drag, but it has twists that you don't anticipate. And, um, yeah, love it. So that's uh, Split by M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, Dr. Shock, that brings us to your number four. My number four. I don't know how we're doing this, Jay. Is your number five? It's Get Out. (laughs) <laughs> That's my number four of the year. Okay. And for a lot of, um, you know, the reasons you were saying, I mean, it's, 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 this is one I think that's going to stay in the test of time. Also, this is, uh, it's, um, very disturbing. It's, it's, it's got a lot to say. 
Um, and even the way it ends, you know, the, uh, I'm, I don't want to go there, but it's, it's, it's really, it's, it was just, and this goes way back. This was one from the like beginning of the year. I think this came out in February, if I'm not mistaken, mm, um, get out. And it's, it's one of those movies that stays with you. So, uh, yeah, that's my number four, um, is, uh, is get out. <laughs> Excellent. I love seeing that on your list. I back you. All right. So my uh, my number four, this for for much of the year, this thing sat atop my as my number one for the whole year horror film. And I honestly thought it was going to make it like uh, we got so far into the year that I thought this was going to be my number one horror film and possibly my number one of all genres as well. And that is, It Comes at Night. Man, I love this movie so much. This is exactly... <laughs> I mean, I heard, I've heard people's criticisms of this film. And I've heard some people gripe about this film. But I'm telling you right now, I don't care about what they say. Because for me, this was a genuine um, survival horror experience. The, the best kind. I love these kind of things. If I had to criticize anything about this film, it would be one thing, and that is, um, I feel like there's um, what is best described maybe as kind of an action type of scene kind of early in the film. And I think that sets up your expectations that there's going to be a little more action and it's going to, you know, kind of roll forward along those lines. And it really doesn't. It is more of a, like a slow burn type of drama but uh it, it it's another one that just worried me and troubled me i felt a lot of anxiety and i'm a big fan of uh trey edward schultz everybody knows i love Cresha, his other film which i'm obsessed with basically and and this one too is is one that i love and you know this is one of those films where you know when we, we get to the ending which i won't reveal anything but i mean it's so bleak and just it's such a dismal film and uh hopeless and it just it just kind of takes away your will to (laughs) to carry on you know so i i I remember i remember just trudging out of the theater just being like just totally overcome by this movie but i love it it comes at night one of my favorite films of 2017 not just in the horror genre but across the board cool man i mean i think I'm I'm so interested to see what your guys' top threes are going to be because I can't imagine them at this point. And so that's going to be exciting. But this is one where I think I'm so looking forward to the Horror Cinema Awards this year as well because mm-hmm. there are movies that I appreciate 99% of what they are. Like It Comes at Night, I mean, it's some of the most beautiful cinematography of the year for sure. Mm-hmm. It is well-acted. It has an incredible sense of mood and tone. The location is gorgeous. Everything is working for me, except I just didn't care for the story. And I just thought it was a little flat on the story side of things. But there are so many great ways to honor a film like that when we get around to the Horror Cinema Awards that I'm looking forward to. That aspect of talking about all these bits and pieces of films that maybe aren't going to make all of our top tens, but there's so much Mm -hmm. greatness in horror cinema this year. I can't wait to talk about that. I agree 100%. Yep, definitely. All right, uh, Joshua, then uh, tell us what, what's your number four. 
So my number four is Better Watch Out. And this is a movie I had been excited about for a very long time because Juan had seen it at Fantastic Fest and talked about it. Then we found out the director was a listener of the show via his buddy and ours. His dinner is in the oven. And then I just, I don't know, my anticipation for this just grew and grew and grew until we were actually going to be having Chris at our meetup event this year. He was going to screen the film with us. And I just thought, there's no way I'm going to like this as much as I want to. (laughs) (laughs) This is really bad that, you know, that this is going to happen because I'm totally, (laughs) it's going to completely underwhelm me and it didn't. And it's so well directed, so well shot, but incredibly and impeccably performed. This is some of the, one of the best young casts ever. I just talked about the great young cast and it, I think better watch out equally has just one of the most incredible young casts and the characters and better watch out are really stretching and they are going their Their characters have a huge range of emotions and dilemmas. They are forced to play and they do it so well. So yeah, anyway, I better watch out. Like Dave said, it's a Christmas classic. I'm literally going to watch it every year from now on. <laughs> Absolutely. Super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. It's going to be right up there with the original black Christmas and uh, silent night, deadly night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And gremlins. <laughs> right. And gremlins. And gremlins. Yes. That's good stuff. Okay. So that brings us to the, uh, the listeners, HMP listener number four. And would you believe it? It is a little film called Raw. So we very nice. So we had six people have this at their number one, and that is Amanda in St. Louis, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, Anthony R in Beijing, China, Ryan B, Michelle P at Mick Puller, and Kagan. And Kagan actually sent us a voicemail about it. Here it is. Hey, Jay, Doc, and Wolfman. This is Kagan from Salt Lake City, and I just wanted to tell you what my number one horror movie of 2017 was. First, I want to piggyback off of what Josh said a while ago, that uh, 2017 was the year of the Australian horror film. Uh, Whether they were made by Australian filmmakers or filmed in Australia, I had three in my top ten with Devil's Candy, Better Watch Out, and Killing Ground, plus Hounds of Love in my honorable mentions. But... My favorite horror movie of 2017 is actually this really cute little French coming-of-age story directed by Julia DeCorno called Raw. And for me, it wasn't just the smartest and most interesting horror film of the year, but it was also the most entertaining. I saw it at a packed screening at Sundance last January, and it's some of the most fun I ever had watching a horror movie. There were people laughing and screaming and maybe gagging, and there were even a few walkouts, which I think go to show how effective the movie was. But yeah, anyway, so that's my number one pick is Raw. Uh, But thanks for all you guys do. Uh, I think your podcast is the best damn horror podcast out there, and I can't wait to hear all of your number one picks. Thanks. Nice. Okay, thank you, Kagan. That's amazing. Awesome. So uh, Ryan B., who had it at number one, said, A modern classic with substance, visceral punch, and beautiful cinematography. Unique take on the cannibal subgenre. Far and away the best of 2017, and likely a top 20 horror movies of the 2000s. 2010s, yeah. Ryan gives it a 9 out of 10. And then Dino, this was Dino's number 3, and he said, not your typical cannibal film. I'm going to mess up this name. Decornow. DeCornell's feature film is a strikingly stylish and layered coming-of-age story with a killer soundtrack 
and more than a few memorable moments. Dino also gives it 9 out of 10, and that's the listeners. Number four is Raw. All right, that brings us to our top three horror films of 2017. I just, I cannot tell you guys how much fun I'm having. I just, I love these shows. It's just, the thing is, the year... January is so hard for me. Like, like it reminds me of my little daughter because, like, on on December twenty sixth, actually, it was it was Christmas Day, and she had opened all her presents, and she was like, "Well, guess I'm gonna have to start planning my birthday," <laughs> you know. And, and that's how <laughs> that's how I feel. Like in January, I'm like, "Oh man, we have twelve months until we can get to another top ten show." And it's just it's just all this work of climbing the hill and seeing all of these movies, which I love to do. But I'm just saying it's a lot of work before you can get there to yeah. this moment that we're in right now, everybody. All right, Dr. Shock, what's your number three? My number three is a movie that I just this is the probably the most recent one that I've seen. And it's one that Josh has already mentioned. It is Personal Shopper. Nice. Ooh. I was really intrigued when i i did not realize going in that this was directed by was it olivier assayas yeah i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that properly I, I don't know how to pronounce it either but yeah okay i but he is a director who i've liked his movies going back on um, he made he made a movie in the 90s called armor vep that i really liked he did demon lover in 2002 um uh, his movie boarding gate uh which had had a lot of detractors actually made my top 10 in 2008 so I was really excited to see this. And once again, I thought he delivered. Um, and you're right, Josh. I mean, I was sitting here going, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, I was going to say it's the best Kristen Stewart performance, but it's the only Kristen Stewart performance I think that I've ever actually <laughs> looked at and said, yes, they're, they're, she's actually, she's acting, you know, and, and she did a damn good job in this. And you're right. It, it takes different, it, it's dealing with real life murder. It's dealing with, with um uh, a stalking it's dealing with um this uh malevolent you know spirit and and her trying to come to terms with uh with with a, a, a tragic loss a lot of things going on in this movie and yet you're just constantly guessing and and that whole thing with with the text message you are on the edge of your seat and she's doing something you know she's taking a trip and when she turns her phone off, you know, okay, when she turns it on, and then they even they even build that where she turns her phone on and then the messages are slowly building and she's realizing she's behind she's behind the eight ball all of a sudden. And a lot of things in this movie just really clicked for me. And by the time it was over, I was just blown away. So that's my number three. It's personal shopper. Okay. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> Now, since you two both have it on your list, I definitely got to see it now. I've got to. Just to tell us you don't like it? it probably. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably. Just, just to ruin your day. But no, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm actually, I, I'm feeling pretty open-minded toward it. So anyway, <laughs> okay. So I have, for my number three, I have this little code. You know, everybody knows I'm a wannabe film critic. And I have this little personal code that I believe in very strongly, which is if I, if I find out about a movie from someone, then I, I feel this obligation to, um, you know, kind of shout out who directed me toward it. And so that, that's what I have to do right here. So, um, you know, I want to say, so my number three is a, a film that I learned about from uh, uh, Lady Phantom and Bill Shetty's top 10. 
It was both of their number one, and I I checked it out because the premise sounded great to me, and it is called Jackals. And if you look if you look this up, um, the poster art is um, fantastic, and that is actually cut right from a scene that still shot is right from a scene in the movie, which is the the greatest scene in the movie. It is like spine tangling and just send chills uh, down your spine, and basically. This film is one of those, um, oh my goodness, it's a siege narrative, which everybody knows I love. It's a survival horror of sorts. You've got this family who um, assembles kind of in this cabin in the woods, and what they're doing is they're going to try to hold one of these um, interventions because um, their loved one, their family member, has uh, been taken into a cult, basically, and so... Um, the, uh, Steven Dorf plays this, uh, kind of this, this guy who's like a, a deprogrammer, a cult deprogrammer. They hire him. Um, so they, they kidnap the kid and bring him back to this cabin so they can tie him up and give him some really tough love and do this intervention as a family. Right. And that's weird. I don't, I don't know if interventions run that way where you actually tie people up. I didn't. I thought it was done more with love than with ropes and stuff. But but anyway, that's how it's done in this movie. But of course, um, the cult comes looking for for the kid, and uh, it's a siege narrative because these bunch of murderous psychos, religious zealots, whatever they are, this cult is outside and they want this kid back. But but setting that aside, which that's very scary, of course. Uh, setting that aside, though. The, the kid himself, the kid who's been like, you know, persuaded to join the cult, those, those, those introductory scenes where they're trying to talk to him, he is so far gone in his mind. I mean, he is so twisted by this group that his performance is uh, just genuinely scary. I mean, I, I was like, <laughs> I was very uncomfortable watching this. This is a freaky film and it is truly great. Um, I, I love this a lot, and I, I just couldn't believe how effective I felt like it was. And I'd recommend it to anybody. I think it's um, fantastic work. It's called Jackals, and it is my number three. I give it a nine out of ten. Wow. You, you've convinced me to watch this one. This was on my should I watch or should I not list as I was preparing for the end of the year because um, – I, and I really should credit a lot of our listeners, the ones who especially talked to me into getting on Letterboxd, because as I was trying to decide what would be worth my time, I'd, I'd look up a movie on Letterboxd, and then it will show you, oh, these three of your friends reviewed this movie. And so I had seen Dark Mark, Joe and Jody had both given it a 6 out of 10, and um, and uh, Dino gave it a 4 out of 10. So I had, had avoided this one based on those ratings but honestly your review got me super excited <laughs> yes i am I'm, I'm for the record yeah, for the record yeah. i'm mad at all three of those guys right now because that especially dino that's ridiculous D- dino i mean seriously i mean i know we all have different opinions <laughs> but this film it, i mean i'm not saying it's a masterpiece or anything like that but this is genuinely scary i mean the this this family that is in the cabin i just want to say one last thing they are not equipped this right i mean they are not equipped to fight off this murderous gang of freaks that are wearing these 
jackal masks and have axes and all kind of stuff. I mean, it's insane. And and plus they have a little baby in the house too. And that ups the ante, of course. So anyway, a great film. Must see horror. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then that brings us to Joshua's number three. Oh, I'm pumped, Josh. What is it? Oh, you're going to hate this one, Jay. So in the year <laughs> of Trojan Horse Horror, I had four movies in my top 10 that I ended up having to cut out of my list as I toyed with the notion, could this be considered horror? In what ways is this movie horror or not horror? I cut four films from my top 10 because they weren't horror enough by my estimation. (laughs) Oh, I really wanted to include them. Like really, really wanted to include them. If you had your way, Jay, you would have cut one more because (laughs) earlier in the year when we did our horror PSAs where we tell people this is of interest to horror fans, but it's probably not a horror film. You told everyone super dark times is not a horror movie. I disagree with you. And I also think it's the number three best horror movie of 2017. (laughs) One thing. Well, let me just say one thing, but I did say in my defense, I did say I can totally see why people would, you know, want to consider this horror. And and, and, I mean, I can totally see it, but just for me, it just wasn't far enough, but, but I know I get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, absolutely. No. I mean, I think this is a really great movie. First of all, like I mentioned with Memoir of a Murder and to a much lesser degree, it deals with a situation where your protagonist is at his wit's end. And so he is a bit of an unreliable narrator, at least what, what we see him experiencing. We're not always sure whether or not it's happening. And I was not sure for the entire climax of the film if the entire climax was happening. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wait, is this happening? Is it going to show us this isn't happening or is this really happening? Exactly. And that says a lot, by the way. I mean, that speaks to my a little bit of where I was coming from. I'm like, what? <laughs> but go ahead. Well, it was so horrific, you know, but I, but I think although it is maybe the more overt uh, use of kind of horror imagery and ideas, I think the other stuff was the stuff that was really terrifying, just the psychological again. And I mentioned this earlier in the year with another film, it's a telltale heart. It's classic Edgar Allan Poe. This is something awful has happened. We decided to cover it up, but now we're kind of regretting covering it up. <laughs> and right. in this situation, we'll just say a, a young man passes away and his friends have to decide how they're going to deal with the consequences of it. And the weirdest thing about it is a few people had said, well, this is the year of nineties Renaissance. You know, people love their eighties movies, but super dark times and boys in the trees. These are two movies that take place in the nineties and kind of say, Hey, maybe the nineties were the, were the golden age. And I don't think that I hated the nineties, but (laughs) super dark times was weirdly nostalgic for me. That is the first thing I've ever seen from the nineties where I was like, Ooh, I remember that. I remember that time period. I remember that part of my life. And it was just fascinating. I I had such an enjoyable watch from that movie. And again, it had a lot to do with the young performances. There's so many good child actors this year. It's mind-blowing because usually kids just ruin movies for me. But there's 10, 15 good movies with child actors this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Super Dark Times is one of them. Well, I, I'm so happy you liked it. I, and I, I, I liked it too. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't like it because I did. But I'm glad you had a good experience. It just took me off guard. I did not think it would get this high on my list, but it did. It That's awesome. Right in there. 
Yeah, well, that's my kind of premise. I'll tell you, I mean, I love the plot. I mean, I think that's <laughs> that's exactly my kind of movie. But anyways, yeah, Super Dark Times is Josh's number three. Very good stuff. So that brings us to uh, the listeners number three, which is a little film called The Black Coat's Daughter, a.k.a. February. Um, this one is, wow, I mean... Let's see, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like seven people had this as their number one film. Uh, Brian Beshi, Dino, Donnie Darko from Belmer, New Jersey, Susie, Marco V, Nate C, and uh, Sifachi. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Anyways, uh, Red Cap Jack had it at number six, and he said, This slow burn horror crawls up inside and roosts for the majority of the runtime. Then it gets you and stays with you. And um, yes, I think that's right yeah. on the money. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Snickens, she said, although I had an idea of where things were going to lead, I was still shocked. This movie was very unsettling. So totally agree. So that was the listeners number three, and it was um, the Black Coat's daughter. Okay, Dr. Shock. We're getting down to it now, brother. What's your number two? All right. My number two is the listener's number three, the Black Coat's Daughter. Um, nice. One of the things about this movie that I thought was really interesting is how it is following two storylines at once and how you it's sort of a mystery. You're trying to say, okay, how are these going to tie together? Um, I like that aspect of but what really got me were the performances, uh, especially by um, the young girl, uh, what is it, uh, Hiernan Shipka. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. she was tremendous in this Incredible. movie. Incredible. She's so good. I, absolutely. And she, she, she um, where she goes with the character, it's just, it is a very unsettling movie, and it gets more. Uh, you know, it's it's just... It's brooding. That's one of the words you throw out with this movie, but it just gets it gets even more intense. And it just builds and builds and builds. And even when it gets to the ending and it ties everything together, it's still building. And I really... It's one of those movies where I just kept turning it over, over and over in my head after I saw it and thinking, wow, that I, I just really saw something very special there. Um, so, yeah, that's my number two of the year. And it's been actually number two... It's been sitting at number two from uh, on my list the whole time, it, and it never <laughs> moved. <laughs> that's awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Okay, it's Doc's number two, and that brings me to my number two pick for the year, and that is Gerald's Game. Man, I I love this movie, and I I already said in my review, um, because the whole premise of you know, being caught in this survival horror situation where, you know, it's a perishing, perishable predicament where the longer you're in the situation, the more deadly it becomes. And and there are some really nice um, things to kind of amp that along. Uh, I'll just say uh, Stray Dog, for example. I mean, I mean, those kind of things are fantastic. But what really took me by surprise in this film is that... <laughs> At first, for a long time, I I was thinking, oh, okay, this is totally a cheat. I mean, they're they're cheating, and I and I hate what they're doing here, and I hate what they're doing to give this character dialogue and 
and so forth. But then when you watch the whole film and you see the whole picture, I've said this before, <laughs> it just swept. I saw like what was done to me and I felt like, um, you know, something horrific had happened to me as well. <laughs> and this is one of the very few horror films of 2017 where when it was over, um, I, I felt genuinely creeped out and, and actually scared. And so uh, Gerald's Game was a, a 10 out of 10 for me. And I loved it. Loved this movie. Okay, so that's my number two. And that leads us to uh, Wolfman Josh. What is your number two? My number two is Sean Burns, The Devil's Candy. I think uh, while The Loved Ones is certainly the more gonzo film that is full on, as Carl would say, I feel like The Devil's Candy is the much more mature effort that is just so self-assured. And it's the story that it's telling. It's so specific. It's so it's such a specific world that the movie takes place in. And beyond the heavy metal stuff, beyond the way that the art is used in the film, as a father, I related to this in a way that I really haven't with another film. I I don't know if it's just I I feel like I'm in a similar kind of like life place as Ethan Embry is in this movie, but <laughs> and part of that is man, I just get who he is as a dad and who he's trying to be and where he's messing up. And it just felt also familiar and painful to me. It's stayed with me almost as much as any other movie this year. And so, yeah, uh, it was another one. Like I mentioned with better watch out where I just been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for it. And usually that ends in tears, but this year it didn't. <laughs> and I was I'm so happy to report. And like Dave said, with, um, with Black Coat's Daughter, The Devil's Candy has been in my number two slot for a very long time. And my number three slot that had been there for a lot of the year dropped all the way down to 21. But The Devil's Candy <laughs> and my number one film managed to hang on. So nice. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, now I feel like I know what your number one is, but I, I've, I thought, okay. I know Josh is number two and number one, but I don't know which is which. And now I feel like I have a sense of that. But um, anyways, well, yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. It's so obvious what it has to be. So I don't <laughs> know. That's why I have no idea what you guys are doing. Oh, good. Because I was going to ask. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're almost there. Uh, do, you, do you have any suspicions about my number one? Just curious. I honestly, the only, there's only one film I can think of because that you haven't mentioned it anywhere else on your list. And I knew you really loved it. Yep. Okay. And, and that's my only one that I think is in contention that I can even imagine could okay. be that high. Okay. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at Dave's and yeah, I think I know what Dave's is too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I know Dave's pretty sure I know yours. And so that'll be interesting. But first, let's go to the listeners number two. And I just got to tell you something astounding about this. Okay, this was the coolest thing. The horror movie podcast community, the listenership, their number one and number two film was absolutely obvious to me immediately as I started like tallying these scores. 
And I just knew, I knew like what their one and two was going to be. I didn't know which was going to be which because both of these two films, their one and two had like, like so many points, like so many high points. And let me just give you a little sense of it. So they're number three, right? The Black Coat's Daughter. That had 245 points total, okay? 245. Their number two jumped up to 406 points. That's almost double the points. That's their number two. Does everybody understand? You understand what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, and that that pick is uh, Get Out. That is their number two at 406 Whoa. points. Oh, wow. <clears throat> That's right. And, and it's too many to count, so I'll just read down through the names. Here are the people who had Get Out as their number one movie. Jonathan W., Dark Mark, Ron S. from Wisconsin. Uh, help me with his Godzilla name. King Ghidorah? Or Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Okay, Ghidorah. thank you. Uh, Frank. I'm pretty sure it's Ghidorah. I'm no Godzilla expert, as everyone can tell. Frank tweets, uh, Saranya, Jordy, Jody Horror Guy, Wilhelm S., Frank the Fiend, Jason S., Colin from Scotland, Dan R., Victor Rodriguez, Pastor Matt, the Davy Dave, Harveth from Columbia, and Dark Passenger, and Andred in Ohio. Okay, so let me see what we got here. Red Cap Are we best friends, guys? <laughs> right, right? Red Cap Jack says, <laughs> These people aren't looking to lynch Chris or use the dreaded N-word. What they are is far scarier and far more accurate a portrayal of racism in the modern era. And horror does what it's supposed to do as it peels back the layers to reveal a darkness within that we are often too frightened to look at ourselves. This is horror at its absolute best. It's a whole another level. It's a brilliant exploration with some complex performances, especially from Kalua and Williams, uh, who carry the film on their respective shoulders. From the horror and dread, Peel knows how to turn that screw and then release the valve at the right moments with uncomfortable levity and downright hilarious dialogue from Chris's best friend, played by Lil Ray Howery. And that's what uh, Red Cap Jack had to say. I thought that was pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I liked his write-up of that. Anyways, that is Get Out. That is the listener's number two and that brings us to the moment you've all been waiting for. Horror Movie Podcast's number one best horror film of the year. Dr. Shock, what is your number one? My number one, like my number two, has stayed in this position the entire time. It never fell. It never moved. And it is The Devil's Candy. <laughs> um, and... One of the reasons now, for a time, it might have been a little bit lower, but on Halloween night, I watched this movie again, and it was a very unique experience for me because I had seen it before. We reviewed it, it was back in February, I think, also, wasn't it, Josh? I mean, it was towards the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. February or March, where we where we had our um, heavy metal episode. I can't remember exactly when, but it was towards the you know, first, first quarter of 2017 yeah. where I saw this movie. And I really liked it. I, I was blown away by it. I thought, wow, this is great. But as I'm watching it on, on Halloween night, and, and I, I know what's going to happen. You know, I know the beats. I know everything that's going to happen. I was more disturbed the second time than I was the first. 
And I was like, why is that? I know what's going to happen. Why is this movie getting to me more now than it did the first time I saw it? And it is because of the relationship that this family has, especially the father and daughter. Mm -hmm. It is so strong and it is so well portrayed. I didn't want to see them go through what I knew they were going to go through. (laughs) And it, it bothered me more knowing that they were going to go through it than it did the first time, even though I know how everything, you know, I, I know everything is going to happen. It didn't matter. I didn't want to see them go through it. And it's, and it's also a great performance by, um, is it Pruitt Taylor Vince? I think is his yes. name who, mm-hmm. who plays the killer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing because you don't hate this guy. You pity him. Mm-hmm. You pity him, but yet you're scared to death of this guy. Um, you yeah. know, because because of what's happening to him. And I also like how they take what it is, is there's there's a, a voice. There is a there's there's the, the, the idea that there is a demon in control, but and it has two characters, but it doesn't have the same effect on both of them. It manipulates them in different ways and it uses what their talents are or or, or uses what they are to its advantage. And poor Taylor Vince plays a simpleton. And can control him. The other character, it it sort of comes out in a different way, you know. Um, but still, one that that it, it's like in 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 a trance. And there's just so much happening here. And by the end of the movie, I was just like, I had to pause it at one point. <laughs> and I'm going, what the hell's going on here? I've seen this. I know what's going to happen. What is going on here? So it was just such a, a strong experience, the second viewing for me, because of that, that I said, this has got to be my number one movie of the year. And it never moved from Halloween night to now. It never moved once. You know what? That's I, awesome. <clears throat> that is awesome. And I, I love that that's your number one. And in the painting, I, I forgot to mention, like in my, when I was talking about the painting aspect of it. It really adds a serious creep factor. That painting stuff is just incredible. I love those that that part of it because it incorporates you know different mediums you know in into this artwork. I mean, the film is an art piece in and of itself, but then you actually have art within the art, and I think that's cool. Right. All right, that was a great pick. So that is uh, Dave's number one of the year, and it is The Devil's Candy. Okay, and now we're to my number one horror film of 2017, and I just want to say two things for I reveal what it is. Number one, there's not going to be any controversy this year about my number one pick of whether this is a, a horror film or not, because this is, this is without question a horror film. It is so brutal, and as um, I follow my rule, I believe this was first brought to my attention way back in January, like a year ago, when Kagan came on the show and helped review some of the films, he saw at Sundance and he said that I would right. enjoy this one. It's an Australian film nice. and it is called Killing Ground, written and directed by Damien Power. And man, this is a punch to the gut. Hardcore. You got this camping trip. This couple goes out camping and... uh. It, uh I just I, I don't even want to like talk a lot about it except to, I'll just say there are deaths that happen there are killings that occur and it is very upsetting it is very realistic um it's like if this thing really happened you know this is what it would look like and this is how it would go down and it is unflinching 
And I, I mean, this thing rattled me. It, it upset me. And I, I was kind of angry, you know, when I was, when it was over. I mean, I, I felt like that something had been done to me, you know, that, yeah. you know, it, it, it hurt me in a way. And that sounds so like, I don't know, milk toast ish of me, but, but, but honestly, oh, I agree. yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of horror film that's a, that's a true assault to you if you have a heart. And the thing is, I think horror is valuable. One reason I think horror cinema is so valuable is because it brings to our attention, kind of like um, what Red Cab Jack was saying, it helps us look at in the face some of the ugly horrors and the potential dangers of our world. And that's exactly what Killing Ground does. I mean, it shows you that when you leave your home and you take your family places, and you're out in the woods or wherever you are, you are susceptible to, you know, psychopaths or something bad happening. You always have to be on guard. You have to protect your family. And I mean, that's what it brings home. I mean, it just makes my my paranoia even worse. But Killing Ground does exactly what I think a horror film should do. Scares you to death. It really makes you reflect on your own mortality, your own frailty, your own weakness, and 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 how vulnerable you and your family are in this world of horror. So Killing Ground, to me, is a must-see. It's a total buy. You can stream it on Amazon for four bucks, but I'll tell you right now, buckle up, and a shout out to Damian Power. I don't know if he listens to this podcast, but if he does, I, I love this film, and it really... It did something to me. That's my number and, one. And it is, it is a hard, it's a very hard hitting. I mean, we, you know, we talked about some Australian films and, um, you know, we've, uh, had them on the, uh, on some on the list. I mean, there's another one that I watched also called, um, Berlin syndrome, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, uh, an Australian film. And it's a, it's, it's a tough one to watch. It's nothing along the lines of the two we're talking about here, though. Hounds of love and, and killing ground. And, Actually, Killing Ground, I saw this morning. It did not make my list, but you're right, Jay. I mean, this is a, it's a tough movie. And and sometimes what they don't show is is just as troubling as if they were to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking what happens, you know, with, with the family. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you're looking and, and you're thinking, oh, my God, you, you know what's going to happen. And you see the after effect, but it doesn't matter because it's just as horrific uh, when they show that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, it's it is it's a very it's a very brutal film. I really appreciated this one as well. Typically, this wouldn't be my thing, and that we had several listeners actually leave comments at horrormoviepodcast.com that they just thought this film was beyond the pale, that it went too far, that it what they left feeling dead inside and what was the point of that <laughs> and what what's redeeming about a film like this and I I found a lot redeeming about it, even though, again, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I absolutely understand why it's number one on your list. I think it it does everything you would want a horror film to do. Uh, You would want a horror film to do. (laughs) Right, right. But but, And it it thankfully does let you off the hook a couple of times when it could have gone to really distasteful areas. I mean, look, there's plenty of distasteful in the film. Right. But there, there was one moment very early on where it shows a baby in peril. And I was like, I hate you movie. I hate you for, for existing and for having me be in this situation right now. Yes. And uh, it let me off the hook a little bit, thankfully. 
at that moment because mm-hmm. I I literally gasped. It's it's rare that a movie takes my breath away because I'm so distraught. But that happened when I was watching the killing ground when I first saw that baby. I went, yes. and, and, and let me, let me just describe, and I won't go into much detail. I just want to talk in general terms. One last thing. I'm sorry to take so long, but it is. So for me, you know, like, yeah, there, there are the children aspects of this, of course. But then for me though, one of the most disturbing aspects is that there's a, basically for lack of a better word. I mean, we're talking about execution scenes and we've seen execution scenes and many action movies and other horror films. I mean, like, um, like uh, you know, we've seen some execution scenes, especially like, you know, American cinema is very violent. There's tons of that. But in this, I think for me, this is one of the, the strongest and, and most, I mean, it's almost like, here's what it felt like to me. Somebody had a camera filming an actual murder and it shows it to you. And and it is, oh, oh my goodness. I, I, I just, I, yeah, I was kind of broken from it. So I can understand people leaving this and feeling like, you know, what is the point of that? You know, and it's like, well, you know, that's what horror is. So anyway. The two things that I felt like I really appreciated afterward was number one, that could all really happen very easily. Like yes. that, that situation could happen to anybody. Yeah, any day absolutely. Right. The second thing that really struck me about the film was something that Jay, you and I had talked about back on movie podcast weekly when I was on that show um, about force majeure mm-hmm. where it undercuts our expectations of masculinity yes, and leaves you to sit in, in what it would feel like to fail at the, a very clear societal expectation for a man. <laughs> yes. And that was something that that actually thrilled me about the film that yeah. gives me little, the goosebumps. Cause I think I agree. And, and what's interesting yeah. is, is that you don't think it has much of an effect until the last moment, mm-hmm. right? The last moment of the film, you're thinking, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah. As you're watching that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's called Killing Ground. We hope if you haven't seen it and you can bear it, subject yourself to it. It's horrifying. All right. <laughs> so that brings us to Wolfman Josh's number one horror film of 2017. The number one horror film of 2017 is Get Out or Get the F*** Out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. I have never never seen a movie that impacted me the way that this movie does. And I honestly, I thought it was going to be the top of every single person's list. I didn't think there were other options. And so that's how much of a spell this movie had on me that I didn't even realize how specifically it was speaking to me. Cause I just thought it's clear. It's obvious. It's the most obvious choice. It's gotta be everyone's number one. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't many people's lot number one, in fact. And, and I think that's actually even more special that it is telling the story of a minority voice that doesn't get told. I think it's speaking to a segment of the audience that doesn't often have a film speak to them or for them. And so I am actually even more proud that it's my number one now, because I, I I think I, I saw a film that was meant for me 
And the same way that I felt about Green Room, which, by the way, I just do want to say this again. Do you remember when we talked about Green Room last year and everyone thought it's ridiculous, Nazis don't still exist? And then timing is everything. Because if Green Room had come out this year, it would be prophetic. I mean, it would be of the moment and it would maybe even be getting a similar level of acclaim that get out is getting this year because it came out at the exact right moment mm-hmm. and get out wasn't made during the time of a Nazi revival. It wasn't made during the time of controversial leadership. It was, well, I mean, I guess it was a certain other type of controversial leadership, but it was made during the Barack Obama administration when a lot of people thought we were living in a post-racial world. And when anyone who claimed that racism existed in an overt way was making something out of nothing and it became prophetic it it became the film of the moment in my in my opinion and it is a film that i think will symbolically will be able to look back at this moment in time and it will express what it was like to live in this current climate that we live in right now mm-hmm despite all the fantasy sci-fi nonsense that happens at the end. But I, but I thought it was so good. And it was also just fun and funny and well acted and such an achievement for a first time filmmaker, you know, and also a filmmaker who I think there were a lot of skeptics about whether or not he could eat or should even be giving a, giving us a horror film because of his background as a comedian he delivered on all of the laughs while keeping them all real and grounded in real life and, yeah. um, right. and in real character arcs. And so, yeah, get out to me is the horror movie of 2017. It just is. And, it, and it was also very, it was incredibly paced. You know, I oh, love yeah. the way that the movie flowed. That was one of the things that really struck me uh, about it is just how well it flowed from just scene to scene and how it set things up so that, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, what's going on? You really want to know what is happening here. What, what is going on? And when it gets to the reveal, you're like, Oh, and I'm even talking like the small moments, you know, like the, the, the moment with, with the maid uh, in Mm. the room and the tear, you're, you're just like, what, what's happening here? This is also very bizarre. Betty Gabriel's performance in that moment is just on another level. Absolutely. (laughs) It is. I agree. And um, Josh, you mentioned the comedy and how, how on the money it is. I think what really impressed me, especially as a person who doesn't love comedy and in general, but this, the jokes are so like pull out the rug from under you because they're so on the money and like so accurate and really um what's that word they're they're condemning i mean they really um <laughs> i i don't know i mean it, they capture so well like it they're just so well deserved and well placed and i i yeah i really respect that about the film too so yeah it's it's good <laughs> all right so get <laughs> Out is uh, Josh's number one horror film. I-, I think it's very interesting. The three of us have three different number one picks this year, which is great. And then yep. the listeners as well. Do you do you guys have a, a sense? Do you have an idea of what the listeners' number one pick is? 
Yeah, because I thought it was going to be their number two. So okay, <laughs> that's right. Yes. Um. So by six points. Um. So Get Out got four oh six. Um. This got four hundred and twelve points, and it is it chapter one. Yes, that's the uh, listeners. Yeah. I can't fault anyone for that. And nope, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Yeah, I, it, you know, I I saw a lot of people just say it's it and nothing else by a landslide. Kind of as bullish as I was on Get Out, I feel like there were a lot of people who felt that way about it. And, and that's and that bore out too, right here in the the results because we had. I'll tell you all the people who picked this as their number one horror film. You got Red Cap Jack. You got the Gray Man. Eric C, End of Daves, Oliver O, Chris D, Shane, The Maniac Cop, Jordan Allen, which is on Twitter, at Boiler Couple, Shannon N, Gareth Y, Sean T, Ryan B, Maxed Out 89, Snickens, uh, Sarah P in Oregon, Trey Whetstone, The Mad Cetologist, Creepster 89, sorry, Creepster 82 (laughs) from Lipson, um, Lisbon, Portugal. I did a great job on that one. And then Sean of the Evil Dead. All of those people had it. And uh, Snicken said it. Not only number one on my list for 2017, but easily in my top ten of all movies of all time. And then uh, Victor said, brilliant performances from the kids and one of the most faithful Stephen King adaptations I've ever seen. So that is the listener number one pick. And it was it was great. It really was. So that's interesting. We yeah. all four of us, like the listeners collectively, and then us, we all had a different movie. But I feel like yeah. I feel like all our movies were deserving. If I, if I, I agree, and there were so many yeah. deserving films this year. I really like how we we hit on a lot of the same places, but we also had some nice variants in other places. So that was fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now at this point, I just did five honorable mentions. And the reason I did that, if it seems like a stick in the mud, and I know you guys have 10, which is fine, and I actually prepared 10 for the listeners just so people would know. But the reason I did five is I wanted to try to differentiate so it wasn't just like I had another top 10 list. So we'll just run down through our list real quick and uh, go straight down through. So uh, Dr. Shuck, uh, what are your honorable mentions? My honorable mentions, I I, I do have 10. Um, this is going from 11 to 20. Um, my number 11 is one that I really tried to get into the top 10. I really wanted to get it in there, but it didn't quite make it. it that's a dark song. Uh, number 12 is the indie vampire film, The Transfiguration. Wow. Um, yep. Num- number 13 is Split. Number 14 is Gerald's Game. Number 15, Jay, you're going to like this, is the Creepy Seas narrative, Jackals. uh number 16 i had to get it on the list because i love how much it creeped out my son be my cat a film for (laughs) ann yep uh number 17 is the uh twisting turning film called lake bottom Mm b-o-d-o-m which i really enjoyed number 18 is the wildly creative the lore number wow yeah incredible dave when did you just recently see that one Yes, I did. Not too long ago. Yes. Oh, and I, I really, it was just, it's, it's wild. It's really insane. So wild. Yep. Uh, number 19 is the bizarre yet fascinating The Void. And number 20 is the beautifully shot A Cure for Wellness. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Good list. <laughs> Good I'm list. reacting to a cure for wellness the way Jay reacted to your uh, killing of a sacred deer. But well, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because other, I'll, I'll just other than that, I can't follow you. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll I'll just do my five right here because it's it's kind of in there. My number eleven was actually a cure for wellness. And what? Yes, yes, it was. What? And, yeah, it was. It was absolutely. That's a great film. I gave it a nine out of ten. I'm telling you the uh, truth. You know what? I wasn't going to do my worst films of the year, but oh, okay. What? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yeah, let me just tell you one one quick thing about this. I have this very irrational fear, but it is a real fear that one day maybe I'll have like um. I don't know, Alzheimer's or dementia or something, and I'll be put in a home and they'll remember that I love movies and then somebody will happen to just put this on repeat and I'm so scared to death I won't be able to turn it off and it'll just be on and I'll be watching these eels and all this awfulness. <laughs> I mean, that, that is a, I mean, it is a beautiful film, like breathtakingly beautiful and yeah, bizarre. Just a garbage story. No, bizarre weird unsettling it's unique it's something different and i liked it i think it's very artistic okay my number 12 uh was better watch out loved it number 13 was split number 14 annabelle creation which i I will say has the strongest horror opening that i saw all year and then number 15 again i i um i saw this because it was like (laughs) on uh lady phantom and bill shetty's list it's called Hashtag from Jennifer, and it's uh, it is bizarre. It's very very low budget. It looks like your friends took a camera and shot it. Um, but what's weird about it, and in and a lot of it seems like it's comedy, oddly enough. But when you get start getting toward the end, the kills that happen in this, as low budget as it is, it's remarkably realistic. I mean, I was shocked. I mean, you have a, a few um, axes being buried in the chests that uh, that are the best I've seen. And this budget is very low, so I don't know how that happens. And, of course, it's got uh, Derek Mears. Real axes and real chests, Jay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm like, that is unsettling how, how real that sounds and looks, especially for considering how shoddy you know, the rest of the film is. But anyway, um, and, and Derek Mears is in it from, you know, Friday the 13th. He was the Jason in the 2009 remake, and he's awesome. Anyways, uh, that was mine. Um, what do you have, uh, Wolfman Josh, for your honorable mentions? I'm just going to do 12 because that's how many excellent films I thought came out this year, and then the other ones were kind of like the next tier down for me. But I did have, again, a, more than 50 in my in my films I thought were good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got raw and then be my cat and then the black coat's daughter. And then the bad batch, which was one I was just really trying to get my top 10, but I couldn't pull it off. I, I it almost went in the dark song spot like three or four times and then popped back out. Um, I've got the mummy next, which is a film I quite enjoyed it was probably one of my bigger disappointments of the year, but I've rewatched it three or four times. And ultimately I, I'm happy that it exists. Another evil is a movie that is kind of like a mumblecore uh, poltergeist type of film. 
<laughs> but it was awesome. I really loved it. It's weird. It's super original. And um, it goes crazy dark places at the end. But another evil is one. If you if you enjoy mumblecore movies like Baghead, if you enjoyed Creep, I think you'll enjoy another evil. Uh, Split was my number three for most of the year. And then it fell this far down by the end. I don't know how it happened. Uh, Tragedy Girls is not my type of movie, but it's extremely well-made and is a great horror film. If you like horror comedies, it's kind of in the vein of the MTV scream television series or scream Queens, uh, where it's, it's a, it's a social commentary and horror comedy. And it's about some kind of snotty mean girls, but, if you like Heather's meets American psycho, you'd probably like tragedy girls. Hmm. Uh, Mayhem was next on my list. I agreed with everything Dave said about that hounds of love, which you guys have talked a lot about Stakeland two, which I really liked and prevenge, which is going to be the end of my honorable mentions, which is a crazy little movie. It's a shutter original uh, or exclusive, so you need to have Shutter in order to check that one out. But I recommend people do. Wow, good list. And I just want to say I am so bumming right now after hearing you do your honorable mentions for whatever reason. And I'm not just saying this; this is the honest truth. I don't know why I overlooked or forgot about Be My Cat, a film for Anne, but that would have definitely been in my honorable mention. So I'm just going to tack that on my number sixteen. But <laughs> I, I overlooked it. I'm sorry. I, I apologize to everybody. It happens. It happens. Yes. So uh, let's keep on cruising. Oh, wait. We still got the listeners honorable mentions. Listeners honorable mentions. That's right. I'm sorry. Forgive me, listeners. Okay, here we go. So um, I'll give you their 11 through 20 here. Their number 11 was It Comes at Night. Number 12, Personal Shopper. 13, The Void. 14, Creep 2. 15, Victor Crowley, which tied exactly with Thelma. Number 16 is The Babysitter. 17 is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Aw. And number 18 was <laughs> The Girl with All the Gifts. And then 19 is Boys in the Trees, which tied with A Cure for Wellness, Joshua. And then uh, number 20 is Mayhem. I hear Boys in the Trees, but come on, guys. Um, you know, I I thought Victor Crowley was 2018. That's what I'm counting that one. So... Uh, look for that maybe next year on my list seriously yeah yeah I'm, I'm intrigued by it but okay so i believe that brings us to our uh our best guilty pleasure movie of the year did you have something that was a guilty pleasure doc and the way i'm defining I, go ahead i ended up moving them i ended up moving my guilty pleasures up into my honorable mentions actually the two i had were be my cat like I said, specifically because it scared the hell out of my son. And I like, I, I just, I, his reaction <laughs> and I like was that. just amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. And uh, also Lake Bottom, because there are plot holes of plenty in that movie. Uh, and it twists and turns in several different directions. And by the time it's done, you scratch your head going, huh? But I had such a blast watching it. Those would have been my guilty, but I did move them up into honorable mentions. Okay, cool. That sounds good. All right, and uh, as for me, let me just look. <laughs> Sorry, I lost. I got a lot of windows open right now. Okay, uh, my guilty pleasure, and and for me, what I mean by that is, 
I know it's not a great movie. I know it's not like terrifically made or executed or whatever, but I don't care. I still enjoy it quite a bit and think that there's some redeeming value for sure. And it's Red Christmas, which we just recently reviewed. Oh my gosh. I was really, I like it. You're really pushing me to name some of the worst movies (laughs) in the year. It's guilty. It's a guilty pleasure. You know, it's like, I know it's not like great, but I still love that freaking movie. It's crazy. So anyway, that's mine. What's your guilty pleasure, Joshua? I'm not guilty about any of my pleasures, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) But are there movies that you don't think are very good, but you still love them despite that? I mean, I guess the mummy is probably the one that I'll get called out on. So let's call that my guilty pleasure, but (laughs) okay. Fair enough. That's good. All right. And the listeners had a tie in their guilty pleasure score wise. It was uh, tied between the babysitter and Cult of Chucky. <laughs> so that was theirs. You know, Fiona Dorif honestly uh-huh. was trying to work her way into my list despite me not um, not being able to imagine Chucky making anywhere in my top 60, but <laughs> <laughs> that's but she's, she's so good, like I considered yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, my big problem with that movie, and it was not her, she was excellent. Just I, I just couldn't get over the the, the multiple Chuckies. It, it was driving me crazy. I, I, I was like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. All right. All right. What about, um, Dave, did you have any uh, disappointments, things that you expected more, but they were kind of heartbreaking, should have been better? Actually, Jay, yes, I did. I had three of them, as a matter of fact. I'll okay. go over two of them. Well, kind of quickly, mm-hmm. uh, but then the third one I have a little bit to say about. The first is Leatherface. Uh, <laughs> was definitely a disappointment for me because each time they put these movies out, for some reason they make the Sawyer family less interesting. And in this one, it doesn't even really pay attention to that. One of the things about the first movie, and I don't even know if they called them the Sawyers then, I don't know what the hell they called them, but that family was just insane. And Leatherface was part of the family. You know, he Mm -hmm. wasn't sort of out on his own. He's what you remember, obviously, from the film. But he's part of that family. In this one, the family's not interesting. And they're not in it. It's become this sort of thing of of these people escaping from a, a, what is that? Like a a juvenile detention center. And then the people who, um, like, uh, the, the two ones, the two are sort of the craziest they bored me. There's just I, I didn't I didn't find anything about this movie particularly interesting, but it that wasn't awful. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It just wasn't very good. Uh, the second one is a movie called The Crucifixion. Um, you see things on the cover like from the makers of uh, Annabelle Creation and The Conjuring and all this stuff. You think, oh, well, this could be interesting. It's a it's a possession movie, um, but it's it doesn't have a great setup. This girl's doing a. Um, uh, newspaper article on on the priest and five nuns who have been arrested for murder for killing another nun. Uh, she ended up dehydrated. They'd had her tied to a cross for three days performing what they said was an exorcism, and she ended up dying from it. So she's going to try to find out about this. Well, she goes to this little village in Budapest. I'm talking like a little village where you see people walking with torches in the street. Mm-hmm. But how lucky that everyone talks English. Everyone. <laughs> Gypsies. Everyone talks English in this movie. They can talk to her. Everyone can just talk to her in her native language. Wow. One of those kind of movies. One of those kind of movies. Okay, but the third one. Now, this is one I, I, 
Okay, I'll give you the title. It is Werewolves of the Third Reich. <laughs> this is a movie that I'm thinking, okay, it could be a 70s grindhouse throwback. Yeah. It could be a comedy. It could be a horror comedy spoof with a title like that. It could even be like the a movie I reviewed during the 31 days of, of uh, Halloween, the... Uh, Army of Frankenstein's, not to be confused with Frankenstein's army, which is pretty good. Army of Frankenstein's about the Frankenstein <laughs> monsters going back to the Civil War and, and changing the outcome of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It could be a CGI laced crap fest that's going to entertain me because of how funny, you know, how I'm going to laugh. I'm going to have fun with the movie, how bad it is. Now, that's a wide berth. That's a wide that and this movie, <laughs> this movie could fit in any. It could have a little bit of one, a little bit of another. It could have any of these things, and I'm like, okay, I could, I could see myself having fun with this movie. I was not expecting a straight up knockoff of Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, and that's what this movie is. Wow, this movie, I'm talking scenes lifted, characters copied from that movie. There are, I'm going to say there's maybe five to six minutes of werewolf action in this movie. And the rest of it is the director saying, let me see if I can show Tarantino how much I love the glorious bastards. Hmm. So, and, and, and so that's part of it. Now it's not, it's not, there's skill behind it because it's not a terrible knockoff of Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. I was not expecting it. And from the first scene, I said, oh my God, what a ripoff of Inglorious Bastards. Well, let's see where it goes from here. It went to another scene that was a ripoff of Inglorious Bastards, followed by another scene that was a ripoff of Inglorious Bastards and a character introduction and just on and on and on and on and on. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a disappointment just because I could, it could have gone any way that I would have been like happy with. And it went in one that I wasn't expecting. And I ended up seeing like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So I'll know not to watch werewolves of the third Reich. Cause yeah, I think Inglorious Bastards is a masterpiece. I love that film. Oh, absolutely. I do too. <clears throat> I absolutely love it. Okay. So my, my three biggest disappointments, um, uh, one is the mummy. I mean, I just, you know, I was worried and then it ended up, my fears came to fruition. And the only thing is, yeah. I'm not saying it's the worst film ever. I gave it a 4.5. I call it a low priority rental. But I'm just saying that they had an opportunity to really give that the treatment. You know what I mean? Do it right. And I, I would have put it, uh, yeah, I would have put it as a disappointment if I had any faith in Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe saying, oh no, this is a horror film. I didn't have any faith in that to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that they did still have elements of it. I loved the mummy though. I loved the, 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 the mummy that they came up with in the movie. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's Princess great. Aminette. Mm-hmm. She will reclaim what is yes. hers. She's great. Yes. Yeah, another one that I was um, very disappointed, uh, and it and here's the thing, I didn't even have like super high hopes for it. Like it wasn't like I was expecting this to, you know, be a masterpiece or anything like that. But uh, 47 meters down, I was disappointed in that. It bummed me out. And then the other one, and this is a film I like. I like this film, so don't get me wrong. But um, the the movie Raw, I I was disappointed because um, even though it is troubling. It's a troubling film. I it was like too much drama for me and not enough horror. Now I appreciate the line that they were walking there with the whole, as Josh described earlier, 
am I, maybe I'm the monster. Like, am I a monster? You know, I think that's cool. But, um, and then when we finally get to the horror stuff, it's signing, it just seems kind of abrupt. You know, there's a reveal toward the end. It's like, ta-da. Like, I'm like, okay. So anyway, I, I do like the movie, so I'm not dissing. It's probably like a seven to me, but I, I thought it was going to be a little more um, to my liking, I guess. Anyway, those are my three. To your taste, as it were. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so what are your disappointments, Joshua? Oh, nothing. Okay, you don't have anything disappointing. That's good. All right, and I'll, I'll, I'll say the listeners here. Uh, theirs is uh, The Mummy, uh, Leatherface, and Alien Covenant. That was their most prominent disappointment. Mm. So um, that hurts a little, but okay. I get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I liked it. Okay. <clears throat> Dr. Shock, what would you say are the most overrated movies of 2017? Horror I movies. Honestly, I don't have any of these. I honestly don't have any uh, overrated, to be honest with you. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I had trouble with that, too, to be honest, because uh, I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I was trying to look at it, and I, I think... I I heard a lot of great things about the Belco experiment, and I still liked it. I, I still think it's good, um, but yeah, I mean, I think people liked it a little more than than I wanted to like it, and so you know that's kind of where I was with that. Did you did you have any movies that you felt were overrated, Joshua? I don't think so. I think everything was pretty accurately rated. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I, I have seen more people appreciate. Uh, the transfiguration and the void than I did, but I, st- I know why they like it. Like I get it. I, I absolutely understand what they like about them. I just, you know, mm-hmm. didn't quite do it for me. And that that's how I feel about super dark times. I think it's like, yeah, I, I could see why people love it. Um, so the listeners for their most overrated, they actually had a four way tie. All of these like ended up being the same. And what's weird is these bottom two, which I'll tell you. So it's a raw, Split, Get Out, their number two pick, <laughs> and It, which was their number one. And that's weird. <laughs> that that very same thing happened over on Movie Podcast Weekly as well, where um, weirdly, they're, you know, the what one, the whole, <laughs> as number one for the year for the listeners, ended up being overrated for a lot of other listeners apparently so that makes you can sense see it. you can see it though yeah you can see it because they are they were the touted movies of the year so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. that that's kind of interesting okay so now we get into our um dishonorable mentions which means basically films that we didn't like or appreciate very much um did you have any films that you didn't like dave um i was struggling to, i wanted to come up with something here um, but there was nothing. I don't have any like worst of the year. Let's put it that way. Dishonorable mentions. Um, I said happy death day. And if you want to know why, you can just go back to the episode where we reviewed that, you know, <laughs> after seeing it. I don't want to really harp on that again. Um, and a movie called Don't Hang Up. Um, if they had made that a short film where after they reveal, you know, that these characters are pulling a prank that someone walked into the room and shot all of them in the head. And that was the end of the movie. I would have been happy. I hated, hated these characters. Yes. They're reprehensible. The moment that, 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 <laughs> that, that, that happened, I didn't care about them. I didn't want to see anything good happen for them from that point forward. 
And then at the end, they try to throw two or three twists in that you could see coming from a mile away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's again, it wasn't terrible. It did have a few scare. You know, it did have a few scares in it. It really did. And it did get me a few times. So it wasn't an absolute travesty. So I would put them as dishonorable mentions, but, you know, certainly not anywhere near a, a worst film of the year. I want to comment with you on Don't Hang Up because I saw that too. And I, I think for me, it's one of those films we were talking about at the beginning of the show where I feel like, you know, the internet type gimmicks are just a little too heavy laden in this, like, you know, the the technology age that we're in. Yeah. I mean, that that, uh, that kind of bugged me. It is. But it is. And it- Mm-hmm. But just one thing I want to say that's, uh, man, this has the heart of this movie, which is like the reason that the prior evil, so to speak, the reason that we find out, you know, all of this killing is happening. Right. That is tremendous. And that is like right on the money. It's like, yep, right there. You had the kernel. You had the seed of a great yep. horror film. Build off that. Let's start over and take that again. Because that was good I, stuff. I agree with you. I liked I liked that. And when all is said and done, you realize you almost want to. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but you almost want to take the killer out for a beer and say, "Good for you." Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. So those are your dishonorable mentions. I I really just have one dishonorable mention, and um, this is gonna like ruffle some feathers. I'm afraid, but um. Well, gee, I wonder what this is going to be, seeing as we've got the build up now. We're at the we're getting toward the end here. Well, I wonder what your dishonorable mention is, Jay. It's the killing of a sacred deer. Aw, like and okay, I just want to say. Okay, well, okay. you realize no deer is killed in the movie, so that your all really doesn't even. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I'm so proud of that though. I can't help I can't help but do that every time I say that title. Um from like a classic Greek legend, Jay. Oh <laughs> that's so that's where the title the title and the storyline uh, sorry, I won't interrupt your No, review. no, no. Let's hear it. It's Go ahead. The, it's the exact same thing as mother in the sense that if that it seems like this crazy wackadoo story that's coming out of nowhere, but if you're familiar with the original legend, it's just that's exactly the original myth. Like there it is. And you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, fine. I'll, I'll take that into account, but even I mean, they feel like, they feel like cousins too, you know, it's kind of like the Christian mythology, the Greek mythology. And I don't know. It's interesting. So I mean, they're, they're interesting actually companion pieces. So I, I think Yorgos Lanthimos is a very talented filmmaker. There's no doubt about that. And especially like I would recommend, I mean, this is kind of horror adjacent type weirdness. I think um, Dogtooth is a very bizarre and troubling film. You know, yeah. it's incredible though. Like, just mm-hmm. will knock you over, right? And 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 so that's a good one. And so, I mean, that alone made me like, you know what? This is the director of Dogtooth. A lot of people are considering this horror. I'm gonna go for it, and I did, and I did. I, I ended up watching this um, instead of Mayhem. That was the last. Do you like Lobster? Just out of curiosity. I I, I haven't seen that yet. No. Yeah, but anyways, um, Lobster was very very bizarre. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've heard as much. But anyway, so I had two major complaints, and I'll just talk about this vaguely because I I won't spoil anything for anybody. But I just want to say, um, number one, the way that they were directed to be like have these very stilted 
like <laughs> like their delivery of like their lines and their performances, which Dave referred to earlier. Um, that was so distracting and artificial to me. And I, and I realized it was a, a definitely a creative choice and so forth, but man, that drove me insane, you know? And it's like, I, I, I don't know. It just bugged me a lot. And then the other, the other thing that really bugs me is just, um, the role that, uh, that a character plays, it's a major role. And apparently it's part of this legend, but it's like, Okay, that's kind of out of the blue and random and weird. And it's I don't need everything explained to me, but it's like there's just no no basis. <laughs> there is nothing for me as a viewer coming into this cold to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, that's a thing that could happen. You know, and it just drove me up the wall. I was angry when when this was all over. So anyways, I'm not as sophisticated a viewer <laughs> as all of you. But uh, I, I just think that this movie drove me nuts. So I, I, I thought it was I, fascinating. I did too. I, I really I thought it was fascinating too. And I thought uh, I was looking at it more as mannered, and it was very deliberate. Yeah. Um, the way that the they were the, he was having them perform, and I thought the actors did a really strong job in that. You know, in their roles. I mean, and you know that it's going to lose it at some point, but it never loses it. Like I said, as much as you think it's going to, you think there's going to be this big blow up moment where there, where the facade is gone and the mannered lives of, I say we do this this weekend. Well, yes, dear, we can do that. How about you put your that dress on? Yes, I will wear that dress. The way they're talking, you think, okay, something's going to happen where they're going to bait each other's throats, but not as much as you think. You know, you know what's it cool wasn't about as much that, as I was though? thinking. You know what's cool about that though is you get this, you know, we we live in such a polite society, and especially like the upper crust, like they are, where you 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 assume because of the tone of someone's voice that they're they're speaking politely. Right. But but the people are not speaking politely for much of the no, film. They're not, they're, they're, they're actually being kind of ignorant to each other. It's just, they're doing yeah. it in, in a very mannered way. And it's funny, mm-hmm. something that I thought of in the middle of the movie, and I don't know where it came from, but about that sort of, you're saying about that politeness was Fargo, you know, that Minnesota nice yeah. that you had through a lot of that movie. Yet there were some pretty nasty characters in that movie. Um, yeah, this uh, is like uh, Mars nice. Remember- yes, exactly. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. It, well, there are two things. Do you remember that? Um, I think it was the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, where he had to tell the truth all the time. So yeah. this is nothing like that movie, obviously. But the fact that they they just always speak candidly and frankly, and they tell 100% the truth, exactly what's on their mind comes out of their mouth. So there's that. And that's interesting because it's like, what would that look like if our society were just 100% honest all the time? And whatever feeling came into your head, that's what you say. And, and that's yeah. what they do in this film. So that's interesting. But yeah, it's like the internal dialogue is external. Yeah. And that's, right. so, so that's, that's unique and everything, but it's almost like they were counseled. It's like, okay, um, deliver these lines. Like you're in a play and say them as monotone and as like wooden as you can. And that's what the, like most of the movie seems like to me, but anyways, well, it, is. it is, but that was, that was the choice they made. I think that, you know, and I think um, in a way it helps to drive home, you know, what we're talking about here. If you listen to what they're saying, I mean, my God, 
were you not incredibly disturbed when he had his son there and he goes, let's tell, we're going to tell each other a secret. Oh. And he tells the son that awful secret. Yeah. I, after that, I couldn't even look at the guy the same way anymore. I, I know. Like that was another part of the movie that just made me resent it all the more because I, I could have gone the rest of my life without hearing something like that. That was very uh, yeah, but, troubling. But it's something I know, but it's, the, but still, it's being delivered in the way that you're, you're saying, the very mannered way. And, and it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it worked perfectly within the context of, of the movie. And to, how, about the, how about the way that they had the, the very creative music in this film? That was great. Oh, the score was fantastic. Yes, agreed. Agreed. The score is incredible. I'm with you on that And part. I will say this for the film. In a year where we had Happy Death Day... The Killing of a Sacred Deer has the best use of Groundhog Day in a movie. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. That's funny. And, okay. All right, fair enough. Well, and I don't think, I don't believe Josh has any uh, dishonorable mentions. Is that correct? I mean, look, you've kind of riled me up. I don't typically take part in the worst damn movie of the year types of things, but... Um, getting frustrated jay i might get there if you keep pushing me (laughs) okay well that's coming up next if you want to reveal one but and the thing is and we should probably tell people yeah we're not trying to like you know uh damage anybody or hurt anybody's career we're just saying these are movies that we didn't necessarily love so and, and that's fine we're allowed not to like them if you have any but if you don't then i have some listener ones the listeners were pretty open about this go for it listeners okay listeners said their dishonorable mentions were The Snowman. Uh, I couldn't agree more. For me, that wasn't like full-blown horror. I could see why you'd put it as horror. But it was the worst damn movie for me on horror movie. I mean, on Movie Podcast Weekly. That was very head-slapping. Like, what am I seeing right now? Yeah, that movie. <laughs> wow. Anyway, and then and then their number four was uh, Jigsaw. And then, really? yeah, I like I liked it too, and they were very hard on it. I have to say. And then number three was uh, Wish Upon, and then number two was Rings, and Rings was not great, that's for sure. But um, man, I was shocked at how much uh, ire that that got. I forgot about that movie. We we <clears throat> talked about that early on as well. Yes, we did. Okay, and now Doctor Shock. Now we're down to the the big guns. Do you have um one that you would? classify as the worst horror movie of 2017 at least that you saw no i like i said i really don't i mean i did i had to stretch to come up with the dishonorable mentions and i don't think i would classify either of them as worst of the year so i can't i don't have one and i'm glad to say i don't have one. Oh, that's good that's actually good news okay um for me you know I don't like to pick on stuff, despite what people think. But of all the horror movies I saw from 2017, there was, in fact, one that I felt was the worst of those that I saw. And that was Open Water 3 Cage Dive. That was some very <laughs> rough stuff. Did, did you did you guys end up seeing that movie? No, no but due to your review, I did not. Not due to your review and even, some, even the title. I mean, you know... Oh. It just doesn't seem like something. I did see a trailer for it. No, you know what? I started to see a trailer for it, and I stopped the trailer. <laughs> see, and that 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 tells you right there, listeners. I'm just saying. 
So, yep, that's my that's my personal worst. Um, I don't think Josh is going to give one because he's such a gentleman and a scholar. Um, Here's the thing. There, there are three movies that could fit into, you could call them dishonorable mentions, worst damn movies. You could call them <laughs> biggest disappointments. They would fit in any, into any of those categories for me. Oh, you know, gonna- I, I thought they were aggressively bad. And okay. for me, that was a cure for wellness, <laughs> happy death day and red Christmas. I was <laughs> mad that I was watching those movies when I was watching. Them. <laughs> and I, and, um, and I, and I liked all three of those movies. <laughs> I like, I, I, like I said, I thought a cure for wellness was a beautiful film. I really did. <laughs> I was more taken shot. by that. I was more taken by that. There were times in it where it seemed as if it was just sort of repeating itself. It was just sort of going over the same things because oh, it's a two so and a half. Clunky. It's a two and a. It's a two and a half hour movie that didn't need to be two and a half hours. It's it's beautifully shot, well acted by Dane DeHaan. He could uh, again. This is I looking forward to the horror cinema awards because I'm like, look, Dane DeHaan's performance is incredible, mm-hmm. amazing yeah. cinematography, great production design, great costumes. One of the most clunky, lame storylines I've seen in year in like ten years. I mean, uh-huh. just I, really and, bad. Story. And see, I can't, I can't even argue that with you because I, you know, I think the story is very um, clunky. Is a good word. Yes, I agree with that. But it's just so odd and unique and bizarre and like weird. I mean, I, I just liked all that stuff. But okay, do you know what? So do you want to know what the listeners? I, they had a clear cut. Worst damn horror movie of 2017. Um, oh boy, let's hear it. Yeah, they were aggressively like. I mean, there were lots of. This was by far the one. Do you guys have any theories, or you just want me to out with it? I have an idea, but I want to hear what you say okay. because I don't know if it's the one. It well, is. Give us your guess, Dave. Give us your. Yeah, guess. let's hear it. It's fun. Okay, because so far everybody's ignored one of the earliest movies of the year that a lot of people have problems with, and that's the Bye Bye Man. Uh, correct, that's the oh, one. Man. That's the one they hated it. And I, and I haven't. I, I still haven't seen it. I still haven't seen the Bye Bye Man. They hated it. Hey, I, I see, and that's why I don't like doing this because it's just piling on. I don't, what's the, what? Why does that help anybody? Right. So, so Josh, what you're saying, uh, let me just ask you this, because I, I feel like you are a fair critic. And so, so you, you are just, you believe that they're just basically attacking it just to do it like, you know, like the whole um, shark feeding frenzy mentality. Or do you think that they genuinely didn't like it? You think it's like a jilly, a jilly thing where, where it's just like, everybody's going to say it's the worst because... You know, it's, it's got that reputation. Clarity. I'm not saying that they're liars or they're just uh-huh. trying to be cool or anything, but I think it happens. I think we live in such a snarky time that enough negative reviews get out there and you see enough snarky comments on Twitter and it just kind of gets in your head. Sure. And you can't, it's hard to shake it. Like I, I, I think the best example for me that I can give is when I see a movie that I didn't read the novel for mm-hmm. and because it's, you know, and I had that experience this year with death note, which I really enjoyed and with the dark tower, which I really enjoyed. And those were two movies that the people who knew about them hated them. And, you know, like the dark tower, I'm sure people are saying it's one of the worst movies to ever exist. I'm sure that made people's biggest disappointments and worst damn movies lists. But if you don't know anything about it, if you just watch it in a vacuum, 
not a bad movie at all. It's like it's a fun mm. little like kind of sci-fi mm-hmm. western movie. Yeah, that's how and, I saw it. And I and I just feel that way about a lot of things. You know, when you're if you saw them in a vacuum, you could probably enjoy it. But then when you're just getting bombarded with snark, I I just feel like there's this piling on, and it makes people happy to. It's a it's a Lord of the Flies. I don't know. I, don't I like feel it. I feel like everything you said is true. However, there are there's just one thing I want to say. I think this is interesting. So that came out in like what February at the beginning of the year. So that it's been like a whole year, and I think it's also it might interesting. Even be January. It might maybe. have even been like one of the first. I think it might have been one of the first. I can't say that, for sure. Maybe it was February. That's so I true. thought it might have even been January. Yeah, and, it was out when we did our preview show. We I think we reviewed it on our preview show. Yeah. So there is that. So it's been a while, and. Um, they all sent in, presumably, like they emailed their lists individually to me. So it wasn't like, you know, they were conspiring necessarily. Well, Maybe know, saying, it's one of those things that's in the zeitgeist. Like worst movie of the year is obviously Bye Bye Man. And why? Well, it's got a stupid name <laughs> <laughs> for starters <laughs> and also dumb CGI dog. Okay. Oh, yeah. Other uh, than that, uh, it's a little flat, but it's not bad. I like, haven't. I haven't seen it yet, and I actually want to see it. But it's funny that you said that about the dog because, yeah, a few of the comments that they wrote was like about that dog. Like they were really against the it's dog. It's got a bad dog. We get it. It's got a bad dog. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, so moving on from that, now we've got um, we we picked like a couple of the the best non horror films of twenty seventeen. I said this when we reviewed the movie. What's the movie with a good CGI dog? Show me the really awesome CGI dog that's in a movie. It's zero. There's yeah, not I don't know. CGI like, dog. I don't know. You can't look at I Am Legend and say that dog in that uh, one was CGI. You know, oh, Scooby Doo. So uh, well, Scooby Doo, yeah, because Scooby Doo was a cartoon. So all you gotta do is make a cartoon. No, it still it. looks like garbage. Yeah, it wasn't great. Josh, you just made my whole night. That is hilarious. Okay, so moving on from the bye, my man. Uh, the, the non-horror films of 2017, the films that we felt would be of note for horror fans because they're like horror adjacent or for whatever reason, kind of up your alley as a horror fan, you might enjoy these. So, uh, Dr. Shock, what do you got? Zero. Okay. I got nothing because I, I spent all my time watching, um, I'm uh, watching the horror films now, between now and the Oscars, I'm going to catch up with all of the other 2017 movies I haven't seen. Okay. So I will probably check back with me um, at the very end of February, beginning of March, and I'll probably have a few for you. But right now, I got a, a big nothing. You got it. So, uh, okay. So here, here's what I have for people in, in this. Um, I got uh, The Shape of Water. I did not feel that was horror, uh, personally, but great film. I think that's going to go down as one of the most beautiful, uh, most incredible-looking films. And, and what I love about that is it's kind of like it's got its own, um, you know, Gilman in it, a creature of the, from the Black Lagoon. I just love it. There's a film called, a little crime comedy, dark comedy crime film called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. It's awesome. Oh, I love that movie. Yes, it's freaking amazing. And it's it's very violent. I think horror fans would dig it. There's a film which I um kind of went after earlier this year in my um, you know, Trojan horse thing, The Beguiled, which um is is interesting. And I and I could see if some I mean I some people did turn in 
they had some votes for the beguiled. So I could see people maybe considering that. Um, for me, it's a drama, but it's kind of, it's a little dark, you know. And then there's a great crime film called Wind River, which I loved. That's a, Oh, baby. That's good stuff. And then another, um, <laughs> this this feels Coen Brothers-esque. It's like, it's like the cousin of Fargo. It's like a dark comedy, violent crime film. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's, oh, love love so good love me that and then and then we already talked about super dark times which i also appreciated but it wasn't quite horror for me i understand anybody who feels that it is i can't argue with you but what i will argue with anybody is people who call dave made a maze um that's not even close to horror for me really but um it's super interesting and i could see why horror fans might appreciate it so so those are mine that I'd recommend horror fans check out. Um, what do you have, Josh? So I'm just looking over my top 50 here on Letterboxd, and there are several that I just included in my larger horror list that I have excluded from tonight's discussion because of what we've been talking about. A ghost story would have been my number two of the year if I had yeah. ultimately decided to call it horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. It's not horror. But it's awesome. Correct. And it's it's a movie that deals with life and death in a way similar to personal shopper, but with it, it, instead of some of the more overt horror moments in personal shopper and, and moments of mystery, this deals with the bigger questions of life and death. And it's just so affecting. I mean, man, I bowled me over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The shape of water is one colossal is one. The Hitchcock documentary. What is it? 72, 7852. Yes. Uh, Dave made a maze, hmm. the dark tower, uh, the documentary haunters, which is borderline. I, in fact, I, w- I am fine with that one being called horror because you're seeing characters experience real horror in their, in their lives. Um, El bar or the bar was one I mentioned in a, in a public service announcement mm-hmm. thing. I, you know, I think I saw it on Juan's list, I think, and a couple other lists. I think it's okay to call that one horror, but I didn't call it horror. I think horror fans could enjoy it. And uh, Brawl and Subblock, what is it, 99? <laughs> yes, yes. That was crazy. Amazing. Yeah. Dave, you got to get uh, to that one, Dave. If maybe you The Untamed is borderline for me as well, but worth checking out. If you don't mind the most disgusting sexing you've ever seen, then... Try the untamed. <laughs> <laughs> what are you able to say? What makes it the most disgusting? I'm just curious. Oh, untamed, untamed. Yes, I, I know exactly which scene you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, think of the possession, the movie Possession, and uh, you'll know. It's tentacles. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, disgusting. Yikes. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> oh, and Jay, one that I think you will love, which I. Th- it was in my consideration because the director who also directed the Belco experiment this year is best known for Wolf Creek, but jungle is an awesome survival film. It is not survival horror, just survival. It's based on a true story and it stars Harry Potter as the main character. Right. Yeah. That I have that one. one (laughs) I want to check out. It was fun. It was a great little survival film. That has been on my list and Walking Out. Those two have been on my list all year. I haven't gotten to them yet, but thank you. 
Yeah, and yeah. I and I back Josh. I totally forgot. I had I've written this on a lot of lists. I totally forgot a ghost story and bra and cell block ninety nine. Those should definitely be things that horror fans check out. Uh, a ghost story is an art film, though I will say, but um, worth it. One of my faves, Josh. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay, and the listeners, they had um, number five was Dave Made a Maze. Number four, A Ghost Story. Number three, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Number two, Brawl and Cell Block 99. And their number one most uh, recommended non-horror film was uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, interesting. I still haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. I need to see it. It just, you know. All right. And then finally, finally, we're going to talk about our uh, top five most anticipated horror movies of 2018 so far. So what do you got, Dr. Shock? I was so busy um, getting ready, watching movies for this that I did not prepare for 2018. So I do not have any. I'm looking forward to hear what you guys say, and they will become my most anticipated. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fair enough. I mean, that works. That works great. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what I I'll have. Play some. Yeah, I got some too. Right. I bet Josh has a giant list, so I'll just throw my five out there. My number five is The Nun, which comes out in July. Uh, yeah. Four is The Strangers Pray at Night, comes out in March. And then we got number three, Shane Black's The Predator remake in August 2018. Number two, my second most exciting, is A Quiet Place, John Krasinski. I saw the trailer for that, and I'm like, yes. I, I mean, I was already excited just because it's John Krasinski, and I love that guy, and I love Emily Blunt. I want to support them. He's directing and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, man, even when I saw the trailer, I'm like, this is my kind of flick right here. And then number one, of course, is everybody's number one, which is uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween. <laughs> oh, there you go. Right? Definitely. What do you got, Definitely. Josh? Tell you us. want me to just say all the same movies over again? <laughs> oh, uh, no. I mean, I, I figured you'd have a list of like 100. So. Uh, no, Mike Flanagan's Before I Wake, I don't know anything about it other than it's an unreleased Mike Flanagan film that's finally coming out. Mm-hmm. So that should be coming out in January. So looking forward to that. You mentioned The Predator. I don't care for those movies necessarily, but I love that. Shane Black is back, but more importantly, he's co-writing it with Fred Decker. So I am super jazzed to see what those guys do with the Predator, um, the Strangers Two, the Nun, Insidious, The Last Key. I mean, I think you said them all. Halloween obviously is my number one. One thing I'm curious about is the New Mutants, which is, uh, as I understand it, a Marvel superhero film. But it's one of the titles that's not owned by Marvel, I believe. Although I guess it is now that Disney bought Fox. But I, what I've heard about it is that they're doing it as a horror movie. So they're doing these uh, superhero characters that are, you know, X Men, mm-hmm. technically X Men characters, but they're doing it as a horror film, and the and it stars Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things, and yet Taylor Joy from The Witch and Split. Mm-hmm. And so it could be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm with you. We had a few listeners um, comment on those too. Um, yeah, like they 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 basically said. I mean, there have been lots of different titles for this. They called Cloverfield sequel or the God Particle. Yeah, the God Particle. That's been pushed back again, though. Yeah. So who knows when that's coming? 
They also wrote A Quiet Place and The Stranger Sequel and The Nun. And of course, Halloween, that was like hugely the most anticipated for all of them. <laughs> like for like all of them. It was, yeah. So there you have it. You know, one last film that I just want to give an attaboy to, which we haven't discussed at all, but I just want to mention Soul Station. I'm not a huge anime guy. I like, you know, all the classics like Akira and all that. This is a South Korean animated film from the director of Train to Busan. He did it actually before he did Train to Busan. It's a prequel to Train to Busan. Takes place in the same universe, same same timeline as Train to Busan, but it's just happening at Soul Station. And um, I guess Train to Busan was his first live action film. He had only done animated features before that and so this is one of those and it's fine like it's just a good zombie story like just it's not it's not as good as train to Busan, in my opinion but if you just feel like a solid zombie film and you don't mind animated or you want one that's animated definitely check out soul station awesome okay soul station i'm excited about that all right well, um, it, as we start to wrap up here, because it's just about that time, it's been quite the episode, uh, we want to take the time to just thank our listenership and especially thank the donors, uh, people who uh, contribute to the, the PayPal. And what, that, what happens there, just so people know, is, you know, we, a lot of these episodes this year have been like three and four hours, okay? And that fills up our uh, storage space really quickly because I share that account between Movie Podcast Weekly and Horror Movie Podcast. And so when people donate to that, that actually enables me to archive those early so we can upload more content. So um, the short of it is if you, you know, the people who donate literally enable us to keep posting episodes as regularly as we do. (laughs) So thank you so much, everybody who donated. Really appreciate that. And the other thing that I really want to thank the listeners for, Josh, I know um, Josh is very active in social media. He does like um, like 98% of our tweeting on um, (laughs) our HMP Twitter. But I just want to say, anytime we release an episode, it it just inspires me to see people immediately retweet that and help spread the word on the stuff that we're doing and i'm really grateful for that Uh, it's kind of validating to me and it makes me think wow they they appreciate it they're liking it you know people are hearing this and our work is not in vain so i just want to thank everybody for that okay you, you guys got any final words before we take it home right here yeah i want if people want to give us more financial support there you go. You guys who all named it as the best movie of the year, go to teespring.com slash stores slash horror movie cast and get one of these losers club t-shirts or lovers club t-shirts. We've got t-shirts, girls, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They're really cool. They look like basically the cast from the 2017 film where it says loser in black and then there's a big V scribbled over the S. Um, we also have amazing t-shirts from listeners armored foe and peter strain so uh i just wanted to thank those guys for contributing their art and if our listeners want to take a little piece of hmp home you can do it at teespring.com thank you thank you very much okay 
Well, that wraps up episode 137 of Horror Movie Podcast. Uh, we thank you for listening and joining us for another great year. We got a uh, fun 2018 ahead, and I can just tell you this right now: I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be seeing the new Insidious movie, and so when we return. At the very least, I know we have a plan laid out for everything we're going to be doing coming up, but at the very least, we're going to bring you a feature review of the Insidious film. Where else can they check you out, Josh? On social media at Icarus Arts is a great place to find me. And Dave and I are actually launching a new video podcast in 2018 with the Gill Man, Joel Robertson. So if people like to watch things on YouTube, I do sometimes. And so we thought we'd try something out in that space and... I'm not going to announce it quite yet until we've got an episode in the can, but it's going to be happening very soon. That should be exciting. Amazing. Yep, definitely. And a great idea for the first episode, too, which is really cool. Okay, Dave, you want to tell the listeners where they can find more of you? Absolutely. At uh, DVDinfatuation.com, at DVDinfatuation on Twitter, uh, Facebook, of course, and Instagram. And uh, you can hear me on the Universal Monsters cast, the We Deal in Lead uh, Western podcast. And... um, of course, the uh, the new one Josh is talking about. Sounds good. And if you want more top 10 list mania, we did uh, top 10 movies of 2017 of all genres over on moviepodcastweekly.com. Check it out. It's a pretty good time. Pretty raucous and crazy as usual. We love your comments, so get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes at horrormoviepodcast.com, where we also have our back archives for the weekly Horror Movie Podcast, as well as Horror Metropolis. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our horror movie podcast theme song. And you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. We'll have those linked in the show notes for you. And I think that's it for episode 137, our top 10 horror movies of 2017. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror movies.